And of course, I saw Shaft, which. Oh, oh Lord! Y'all better than me. I haven't seen any Shaft movies. Y'all better than me. You ever seen? You ever seen Richard Roundtree? The original. Um, I think I've seen the original maybe once. I'm talking about the ones with um. Samuel. Sam Jackson. Oh, mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't seen the 2001 at all. Not a frame of it. Oh, okay. I'm like, all right. I'm not the only one because I was like, I've never seen any of them. Yeah. We're going to talk about Shaft because that is a movie that um, the uh, critical community is going out of its way to, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, destroy because it's super problematic. Is it really? Because, well, it's less a Shaft movie and more a buddy comedy about a millennial and his dad. Ah, okay. And the dad is depicted the way that you would think a 60-year-old black man would act. Oh, boy. And all of the baggage that comes along with that. Hmm. None, none of it is cut for filtering, for content, for anything. And that's... Um, hello? And you present this... See, with us, we kind of understand that and because we go to family reunions, we hear our uncles and dads say wild shit. And we are kind of, I guess, I don't know, I'm a little bit numb to it, I guess. But mm-hmm. if putting that in front of white folks, good liberal white people, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> um, hey, can y'all hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Peter, is that you? Uh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Okay. Hmm? I am. <laughs> I was like, it sounds like somebody's eating cereal. Now I want some cereal. Sounds like somebody's right. um, manning a guillotine. It was like, shame, shame, <laughs> shame. <laughs> oh my gosh, not Cersei Block. <laughs> <laughs> shame, shame. Brandon, I wish you would watch Game of Thrones. I, but know, I, know, that you make... I know that joke. See, no, you wouldn't make it past season one. I haven't made it past episode one. Really? You yeah. don't like that kind of stuff? <sighs> Too many white people with, with with weird names. I just oh, it just I just turned right mean, out. I'm sorry. <laughs> that weird. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know, but I but I get I get I get what he's saying because I've heard white people say similar shit, so I'm all for that reasoning. <laughs> like I remember, I was so offended. We I think we were reading Things Fall Apart when I was like a senior in high school. And like one of the guys commented, like, why do they have such weird names? Jesus Christ. God damn it. I, well, I guess I just said the same things, but yeah. Um, I just I couldn't do it. It was just like except for the same reason I've only seen the second Lord of the Rings and I fell asleep three times. Oh. Mm. There's something about white shit in Brandon that doesn't mix. No, it does. Like Brandon when it when it's when it's like 1950s or 40s stuff and they wear hats. And they talk in that, and talking that that mid Atlantic accent. I'm all there. That's me all day. But you it's, know. Weird, it's weird. But when you said you like went to see the what movie and you didn't know any of the songs, Rocket Man. Yeah, this nigga didn't know Elton John songs. The only one I know is Wait, the one that what? Mary J. Blige sampled. Sir, that's the only one I knew. Sir. The only Elton John songs I know by I know by words are all Lion King. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta at least lie about that. I mean, like, oh my, do you know? I was the only person. I went at like ten, so like I did a double feature. So I saw John Wick three and then Rocket Man, and it was like at ten something at night the weekend it came out. I was literally the only person in my theater, and I had the best time ever. It was campy, campy fun. I was thinking, 
daggone theater singing along at Own John songs because I knew damn near all of them. Actually, the only Elton John song I know is that he did a song with Eminem, but I know who he is, and I guess, but like, yeah. And I knew who he was. Like, I knew, like, the general idea of who he was. Like, um, I just didn't know any of the songs. I enjoyed yeah, no. the movie. The movie's probably, the, it's still the best movie I've seen all year. So it's, it's fucking amazing. It really I'm is. saying you show lied. <laughs> uh, I, like, I mean, I can see some stuff. Like, Brian, I didn't know, like, I, there were so many songs I would hear growing up, and I never knew who the artists were. Like, my mom was actually messing with me last weekend. Mm-hmm. Because I was telling her that, and then like she had it on the oldie station and be like, So, do you know who this is? No, do you know who this is? I'm like, I didn't realize this was a Led Zeppelin song sounding like old school RB. Yeah. A little bit. Back in the like, old days, I mean, uh, white folk used to love to sound like niggas. Well, I mean, you know, because I mean, it was disco where all the sounds were, you know, melding. Yep. Because we had a discussion. We were, to, and I think I said something to you maybe last week or two about this how um, basically disco died because of the. Um, Basically, white middle class American uprising talking about they took. Um, they killed rock and roll, is what their argument was. So, they, um, there was like a disco sucks movement, like white people got shirts screen printed and shit. And I think it was mm-hmm. July, it was July 79, I forget the exact day, but um, Disco Demolition Night, they had like an exhibition baseball game up in Chicago. And the mm-hmm. DJ who was hosting like whatever, like, it's not halftime show, I don't think, but whatever, like, this is nine innings, whatever it was, like some sort of special show they did in the middle of the game. He mm-hmm. has said, come bring your disco records and we'll destroy them on the field as a joke. And it turned into a fucking riot. They burned disco records. They were shouting disco sucks and everything. People were acting a complete fool. Michael Clark Duncan was there as a teenager for no fucking reason because he had white friends. And yeah, it happens. Yeah. After that, that's when the record label started backing away from disco. Mm-hmm. Like seventy nine to eighty one, you hear like in particular the album that is most affected by this is the Jackson's Triumph. That's the one with Lovely One and um, Can You Feel It on it and Walk and Walk Right Now. If you listen to a bonus version of it, like the deluxe, whatever, they have the original mixes of those songs and they're very discoy. They took out like string sections and horn sections and shit and tried to make it sound more pop. Versus disco with that lush sound. Same with Diana Ross's Diana album, the one where she's got the, the blue jeans on, the one that Sheik did. Mm. Like I think I talked about how she she stole the tapes out of the <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> her and the, and, the, and the editor went to a secret location. The, I mean, the engineer went to a secret location and remixed the entire fucking album. She redid all her vocals. And that's the version they put out. And Bernard Edwards and um, Nara Rogers swore never to work with her again. They went back on that promise very quickly because money. Um, but I think we talked to Nara Rogers to this day about that album. He sort of kind of gets like a heavy... He don't anymore because Motown finally released his, their version in like 2001. But for a long time, if you talk to him about that, he'd probably just go... Because they made her like this, you know, a chic album with Diana Ross vocals on it and Diana Ross wanted um especially after Disco died a Diana Ross album with a little chic instrumentation here and there on it which is what she mm-hmm. transformed it into but like I always say everything has a good side because I mean for all of us uh, millennials who love more money more problems growing up that song does not exist without the music break that Diana Ross and Ross Tenera the engineer put into the final release version of I'm Coming Out the chic version mm-hmm. does not have that. 
So there is a lot of, I guess, cause and effect that turns out good in the end. Will we, will we still get Monica's first night? Uh, that's on a different Dino Ride. That's that's I think three albums ahead of that. That's seventy six. Uh, oh, Love Hangover. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I thought they were the same. It was somebody else who sampled. No, it was it was um Jermaine Dupree samples it for a different song. He was on a Diana Ross kick for a minute. Oh, he loved it. Like people used to love Diana Ross um stuff. The only thing about Diana Ross as a solo artist, she had a very spotty record as far as like selling albums. She mm-hmm. she did better in concerts and everything like that, but. They were so concerned with trying to turn into a movie star in terrible movies uh, that she only recorded albums sporadically, like she did, like three in 1970, one in 73, I think maybe like two in 76, 77, and then like three mm-hmm. in 79, 80. Like there was like just little bunches of like here and there, uh, just a flood of Diana Ross albums, but no consistency because oh. they were too busy trying to put her in Lady Sings the Blues, uh, Mahogany, and The Wiz. Hey, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, Lady Sings uh, the Blues is a movie I make excuses for. It's very strange. It doesn't work all the way, but I let them cook. Mahogany is a terrible motion picture <laughs> from top to bottom. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm at the whiz because um, uh, I remember seeing that and being like, uh, "I Dorothy seems, so Dorothy's like 35 playing 15. Okay. She's, she's 35 playing, I think, 22. But that yeah, that's the whole thing where Diana Ross basically begged for the part, even though she was way too old for it. They Somebody at Universal ran numbers and thought they could have a big hit. They put Diana Ross in and rewrote it for her because, you know, in The Wiz, the actual Broadway musical, she's a fucking teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow it's in fucking Harlem. It's a goddamn snow tornado. That shows... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not logical. Do you know what my mom told me about that, too, with The Wiz? What? She said... The time that it came out also was a problem because here it is. She's like, musicals really weren't big back then. So having a movie musical really didn't work because it wasn't a thing. They, they, are, they had died out. I think Grease was a big hit, but I can't say that Grease inspired them to make The Wiz because I think they were Mm-mm. already in pre-production when Grease, when Grease, they, Grease and The Wiz had, were produced at the same time. Because yeah. Grease came out in summer 78 and The Wiz came out in the fall. Yeah. And they were she was like, movie musicals prior. in general. She's like, right. people aren't going to movies to go see musicals. No, not anymore. Like, because by then, like, like, um, because you used to go, musicals, they used to charge you double so you could see them in, like, the, the good movie theater with the nice sound and everything. By then, drive-throughs and multiplexes, mm-hmm. they had that, that tinny Monaro sound and everything. So a musical just didn't work <laughs> to see it in yeah. the movie theater. <laughs> Mm. They made a couple that just didn't work. Like Sgt. Pepper's came out that time. Hair. Hair is an awful movie. I love parts of it, but that movie is terrible all the way through. <laughs> Fucking Xanadu. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Have y'all seen Xanadu? No. I haven't seen it since I was, I haven't seen it since I was a child. What is a Xanadu? Xanadu is a movie about Livy Newton-John. She plays a Greek goddess on roller skates. And um, uh, what's my man's name from the Warriors? The lead guy in the Warriors, Michael Beck, um, is a um a album um cover artist. I didn't think you were talking about the basketball team? I'm like, wait, what? No, the Warriors, the movie. <laughs> uh, Warriors come out of play. I was, I was, I was right there with you. Like, what? <laughs> I wasn't the only person. I'm like, wait, what basketball player was in Xanadu? Oh no, no, this is a white, this is a white dude <laughs> in, some, in some very high-rated right. shorts. Um, right. <laughs> and he. Paint- 
he paints a magic mural of Olivia Newton-John that comes to life. And she's like a Greek goddess of like a muse or whatever. And she inspires him to open up a roller skate disco where... He, where they play both 80s music and 40s music because for whatever fucking reason, 40 years ago, her and Gene Kelly had a thing going but never made anything of it. So he meets up with Gene Kelly up in a, a fucking roller disco where they play 80s and 40s music at the same time. Like, like, like imagine a disco record where it breaks into, like, breaks where, like, they just start playing horns and shit, like, 1940s. And the, the men and the women are wearing, like, hats and, like, neon jackets and fucking and leg warmers it, it, it was a goddamn mess. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> the soundtrack is amazing. Just listen, just listen to the fucking album by itself. The soundtrack's great, except for the fucking mashed up 40s, 80s song. But the boo, that movie's off. <laughs> it used to it used to be one of those movies I thought was a treat that came on cable all the time. All the time, bro. <laughs> that- I mean, because I, I mean. I, I think I just liked it because it was a spectacle. Mm-hmm. When I was a child, I didn't really understand it. Right. Because it's flashy. There's a lot of special effects in it. There's a dot. Like, one play for no reason because they had missed a song to film. Um, Olivia Newton-John kisses um, old boy, and they turn into Don Bluth cartoon characters and go through, like, a magical cartoon adventure. What in the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they brought in Don Bluth to do, like, Five minutes of animation for like a song they forgot to film. For a song they forgot to film, mm-hmm. they forgot to film. They forgot to film it. It was what kind somehow, of Michael Bay shit is that? The, somehow the schedule. <laughs> somehow the production manager forgot to schedule it. They got to the edit bay. Where is this song? Oops! Call Don Bluth. <laughs> Wait a minute! I I, I want to hear about this Michael Bay story. Like it sounds like that has legs, and that wasn't just thrown out there randomly. No, that was thrown out there randomly. Slander. <laughs> oh. Damn it! I was hoping there was something there. <laughs> next time, make something. Next time, lie. Lord, <laughs> I shall. <laughs> okay, let me go ahead and get make sure we're all set up. Um, this show will be simpler as far as a rundown goes, but because all the topics are big, so. <laughs> and I can't t- say anything about Shaft because I haven't seen it. Oh, we'll talk about Shaft. Pause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you saying you didn't see it or you did see it? I didn't see it. Yeah, you, oh, okay. you won't see it because either. that thing's gonna be running out of the theater on a rail, boy. They made and that thing is bombing. They made eight million dollars the whole weekend. Woo! They wanted to make twenty. Oh, wait a minute. What was that movie with the guy with the bouffant? With the, oh, oh, I know Superfly. Oh, okay. It didn't do worse than Superfly, did it? Yes, it did. Ooh, oh, damn. <laughs> Let me double check. I'm oh, pretty sure no. it did. Um, hold on. No, Superfly had future music, so the future hive went to the movie theater. You know, on twenty of them. I mean, look at the Future um, hive rolls deep. I mean, they don't pay child support, but they'll pay to see a movie. Jesus, <laughs> that's, that's why it's doing better than Shaft. <laughs> I did, I still haven't heard that new album. People said it was terrible. Oh, good. Oh no, he don't no, it did better. It did better than Superfly. Superfly made six point nine million. Oh. <laughs> uh, <Aww. laughs> Well, Damn. I couldn't find no babysitter for their kids. Well, it came out over a holiday weekend, so they counted the the um the, the two days, and so apparently it's nine million. So if you count that, it did better than Shaft because Shaft made eight point three. Nobody I, don't want to see that. 
And, we we deserve better. Can we get? We do. Well, the thing, um, Foxy. When is a Foxy Brown movie? God damn it. Megan Good is working on that as a TV show. Okay, I don't want this anymore. I don't want it. No. I'm sorry. What? Megan no, Good and Devon it. canceled. Nope. Mister and Mrs. Devon Franklin are producing. Oh Foxy hell Brown. no. We don't need no churchy Foxy. <laughs> no churchy Foxy. <laughs> but I mean, so what? Baptized. Re- Reverend lady. and Lady Devon Franklin are producing Foxy Brown for uh, who? Who was the rest of that shit? MGM as a as a streaming TV show. They don't know where to sell it yet, but they're working on and it. So Pam Greer's gonna come through as a saved auntie who has to like. <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna have to come back and um, have her baptism mobile. Right. She go, but she's gonna have to come back and get like go come back back out of retirement to save her babies who ain't nothing but out here uh, doing city girl shit. The city girls are gonna be her her, her like nieces and nephews out her oh, nieces no. out here in the street, right? Talking about I'm getting flued out and I'm wetter than us aquarium. Um, oh, <laughs> and Pam just gonna be like. I was out of here, but I had to come back in and show them how they used to do it back in the old days. And show it for probably oh, no. recruits. And there'll probably be like a cameo by some old players, like uh, Shaft and Superfly, one of them two. And maybe uh, we might get a uh, truck Ron, turner. I don't think through. Ron Neal's with us anymore, is he? I think he's gone. I, the, quit, quit ruining it. It's <laughs> but yeah, that's that. They, they have that. Um, uh yeah, Ron O'Neill been dead since 04. Oh Jesus. Um <laughs> uh, But yes, uh this this Foxy Brad, I'm sure she will be dressed from head to foot, you know, because you know. Um <laughs> the Lord don't blame. <laughs> Shit, might as well get Tyler Perry to help. Shit. Imagine my idea in the Foxy Brown movie is like oh. <laughs> <It's the best. laughs> I feel like Superfly was just some shit they just threw out there just to have some content because they shot it in like January, February. They shot it here. They shot both Shaft and Superfly here. They were wow. they were in production simultaneously early last year. Oh, Superfly came out last summer. Like they only had like six weeks to edit the motherfucker. So I don't. Shaft, meanwhile, they they should have put this out in February. I know they put it out this weekend because of Father's Day, but this this is the kind of Tim Story movie. It's like a ride-along. It needs to come out at, um, um, no offense, a Negro time. (laughs) A Negro time. Yeah. I need some nigga time. Half-ass college. (laughs) But But I feel like it was, I mean... I don't feel like it was advertised that well. I feel like it was like, like I, I started hearing about it again two weeks before. I like think most. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I feel like most of the marketing for it happened like when people were start when they were like filming it, and then you had to wait for so long for it to actually come out. So. Mm-hmm. I think so. I heard a rumor; it's not substantiated that when uh, AT and T took over Warner Brothers this year, they cut mm-hmm. every budget in every department by thirty percent. Mm. Uh, I believe oh, it. It must be the Regina Hall budget. <laughs> like, wow. Oh. He deserves oh, better. Oh, she deserves so much Because if you look at the marketing for every Warner Brothers release this year, Lego Movie 2, is, Isn't It Romantic? Um, that Nancy Drew shit that nobody saw. Shazam. Isn't It Romantic was 
complete gutter trash. So I'm glad they didn't advertise. Oh, I thought it, was, I, I, it got good reviews. I thought it looked nice. Oh, it was terrible. Oh. Uh, cur- I saw that shit. It was like, what the fuck is this? Curse, yeah, Curse of La Llorona, um, Ted Pikachu, and Shaft. The only movie they promoted so far this year, like, at a level I think is acceptable, is Godzilla and Annabelle Creation 3. And I think they're going to do it for It too as well. Because they're it already too. advertising that shit. <laughs> I mean, It too had... They damn near gave you a whole scene in the last trailer. I haven't watched them fucking trailers. I'm not doing it. <laughs> nope, nope. I can't nope. wait for I part haven't even two. seen the I'm Spider-Man like, trailer. I walk out every time it comes on. Oh, wow. Uh, Why? Because I'm going to see the movie. I don't I, I, I don't need for them to spoil the shit. Because the, the trailer houses be too thirsty these years, these days. Like, uh, <laughs> but, it's Mar- but, like, it's Marvel. And one of the things Marvel does that they don't get credit for is that they lie. They or do they lie in trailers. Yes, they do. Way, way the fuck out of context. Um, I mean, it's not like... This, this ain't some amateur hour DC type stuff where it's like, wow, the whole wow. Box. They made two. They made one movie that thus far I've enjoyed, and that was uh, what was it? Shazam. I really enjoyed Shazam, and oh, that was like that a. Was so I was so surprised how good it was. I was like, I. I thought they was gonna fuck it all the way up. I, I thought they was gonna, gonna fuck it all the way up. I thought I was gonna kill movie. somebody. I was like, yeah. I, I was afraid I was gonna turn on to this and be like, oh wait, what? Because wait, because me and Ken on? were in the theater. We both kept looking at each other like, what movie is this? Where am I? What is going on? I'm like, why is this good? Is this character what? development? It's like, what is going on? Like, it's the black I... girl talking with lies. Hey, I was like, why am I falling back in love with Zachary Levi? What is going on? Am I? I thought is, he is was this, canceled. Is this charming? I, oh. Like, wait, the CGI is actually good. I. I am confused. Where is, Mar- is this really a Marvel movie? What is going on? That's I was like, did Marvel ghostwrite this shit? What happened? No. <laughs> it's a lot. I was like, this is a lot. It's the first movie they made that actually felt like the fucking comic it's based on. Because even with Aquaman not, you know, being like what it like, is, Aquaman is a Jason Momoa movie. It's not really an adaptation of like the Aquaman comics, which are a lot more, which are closer. For better or for worse, to like a Black Panther sort of a vibe. Yeah, because I'd heard that with Aquaman, I haven't seen Aquaman, but a complaint I'd heard from a couple folks is that it's less like King of the Sea and more like Bro, uh, the bro Dog, Dude Bro of the Sea. <laughs> and <laughs> also, Jason Momoa can't really act. I mean, he has like a 38 pack, which is nice to look at, but he apparently can't act. He cannot work the stitch. He really can't. And He's I, just charming. And I swear <laughs> they told. They told everybody else in the movie to look, forget how to act, to like to make him look better. Right. <laughs> oh. Like Yaya, what's Yaya's last name? Uh, Yaya, Yaya. Martin. Yes. He, I'm like, he literally forgot how to act after giving. Who like, was he? Black man. He was. Yeah. Uh, oh. Listen, that man opened his mouth and put and put his lips on one side of the set. And it just consumed it like Kirby. Like, I have, he was overacting in a comic book movie, which is hard to fucking do. The movie was so much. I was like, can y'all pick a plot like, and a villain? Because there's way too much going on in this movie. Like, I was, you know, I was entertained, my, but it's not good. I will admit that. Right. I was right. like, it's a lot going on. I'm like, I feel like y'all need the Black Manta guy in his own movie. This could have been Aquaman too, but so no. This, yeah, this is what happened. So James Wan, if he had had his way, Black Manta wouldn't have been in the movie at all. 
This is Jeff Johns' oh. fault. Jeff Johns is so in love with Black Manta that he demanded Black Manta be in the movie. It's just because... And he didn't need to be there. I'm like, this <laughs> literally did not need to be. It was like the red herring. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, he did. He it, Not at all. Like, visually, he was in, he, it was great that he was in there, and I was happy we had a Black person in the movie. But, right. uh, yeah, totally did not need to be Too much screen time at the very least. Yeah. Right, uh, like, all that character development, that could have really been Aquaman, too. Really. Yeah. Building the yeah. suit. Being all angry, fighting in Italy, Japan, Australia. I don't know what the fuck they were. They was in Italy. Like, you had it right the first time. Oh, okay, great. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this could have happened Aquaman too, and dealt with like the really frosty white guy that Ooh. is really mad at Aquaman for some odd reason. Um, yeah. even what? What? Like, what? What is going on? So is yeah. the movie like overstuffed then? Or? It's definitely overstuffed. Yeah, definitely. It's like <laughs> it, I it's as over the top as Jason Momoa's personality. Yeah. It's as over the oh. top as him doing the haka on that daggone red carpet and all the white people going, what the fuck is going on here? Why are the brown people <laughs> like, yelling at the pretty brown people? What is going on here? You know what? I have a feeling that's the reason why we're getting a haka and Hobbs and Shaw, because that's exactly like, why. Oh, Dwayne saw that shit and he got jealous. He said, I'm going to put mine in the movie. <laughs> I was like, wait, hold on. First it went to we over the top. Like, there are no car chases. All of a sudden we got car chases. We are in Hawaii. We doing a haka. We got a mama. I'm like, what the hell is going What is this movie? I don't give you a damn. You, you notice the black like, family don't appear in these movies whenever he You know, you know um, they only black when he doing a documentary on BET. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, The Rock, like, he, well, somebody asked him about that on Twitter once, and he's like, you know, I, I rep both sides, and then a bunch of white people were like, you're, you're our fucking racially ambiguous hero, don't you say a goddamn thing. <laughs> he's like, uh, he's like Vin Diesel, just, they're like, wait, wait, he, he, he got some black in him? Wait, wait, what? Oh, if you see a picture of Vin Diesel as a child, you're like, that is a Negro. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can look you, at sir, him now. You, sir, are a like, Negro. Hmm. <laughs> It's like, what's going on? They're like, um, excuse me, you have to be our racially ambiguous king. You can't be out here making these BET documentaries, sir. We need you to stay ambiguous. Stay. Don't move. Keep going. Right. Okay. Be keep being the impossible the, the um impossible white man yeah. that we need. You're not king of the impossible white man. That's Tom Cruise. Right. But you damn near close. <laughs> That that short man, he really does pick movies. Like he saw how he's going to die. He's like, oh, I can do all the crazy shot one movies. No, no, no. I'm a, let me hang off a C one thirty taking off. Uh just because why not? This isn't gonna kill me. Let me do a barrel roll of a helicopter. This won't kill me. Let me break uh, my leg in Mission Impossible. I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna get the <laughs> shot. What the fuck is I was like he well, that last mission also, impossible? I loved it so much. I'm like, what why isn't he dead? Well, he's also short, so like he has that whole thing where he has to prove something to somebody at some point in time. So, like he's he, he's never gonna give up. He's not. It's like oh, I'm like I love Tom Cruise so much because he does like the stupidest shit I've ever seen. I'm like I feel like this is a bad idea, but go ahead and put it in the movie. Why is it every time I bring up my favorite movie or song, y'all call my shit corny? You act like I don't have no taste and no flavor. I'm a Luddite or some bullshit like that. What kind of particular shit is that? It's the shit I like. That's what I like. That's my type of shit. You know? Why don't you know y'all supposed to just say something nice? Showtime. Welcome to the Say Something Nice podcast. 
your home for in-depth news discussions, reviews, and deep dives into movies, television shows, and music with a special emphasis on diversity and the Black experience. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts can be found. And you can also find us on all social media under the handle at SSM Podcast or at our website, SSMPodcast.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Say Something Nice podcast. We're so glad to have you here today. Today is Sunday, June the 16th, 2019, Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Also, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. We didn't say that. I forgot to do that. My apologies. Um, Well, I am here with Ken. Hello. And our special guest, Stephanie, from the Milk Minutes podcast. Hey! And our special guest, Peter. Uh, howdy, y'all. All right. And Ali will hopefully be joining us in a little while. Hopefully not too late because uh, he wants he to... Had a li- he had a late shift at Penance. <laughs> uh, oh! Oh! <laughs> that's my kind of carrying on. <laughs> howdy, uh, y'all. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm mad you know what pin up is. And <laughs> why did you think I wouldn't? So I'm going to I... Google on the air pin ups. I'm assuming it's some sort of <laughs> establishment that does things. Club pin ups. Uh, ATL. Oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> 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 oh lord <laughs> so um in another form of entertainment um the movies have not been doing that well this summer and it's been yeah. weird i don't know if this is just a turning point where the netflix hulu amazon video game streaming shit of it all has just it's the where the pendulum has shifted but every movie that's come out since after endgame Maybe people are just exhausted from Endgame. I don't know. But every movie that's come out since then has um, either done just okay. Pikachu did just okay. Everything else is sort of kind of underperformed significantly. <clears throat> like Godzilla uh, did underperformed. Uh, or John Wick 3 did fine. John Wick 3 and Pikachu are fine. Godzilla underperformed. And then Dark Phoenix flopped like a dead dog. Um, um, uh, I mean, that... Because it was hot-ass garbage. Oh, yeah. That movie sucked. It was like, I, seriously, people left my theater and they were just looking at each other like, so what just happened? <laughs> I still remember on the review, I told, because um, the people were sitting there waiting for an after credit scene. And I was just there watching the credits. I looked at everybody and said, y'all, there ain't nothing. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> I, I was disgusted when I saw Stanley's name in them credits. I'm like, yo, his family members should pull up on Simon Kinsberg and everybody else that allowed that atrocity to happen. Um, and like, I, I just fuck that movie. So, fuck that movie. I, wow. I heard today, um, on the QA with Jeff Goldsmith, which is a podcast where they interview screenwriters about movies that have just come out or older ones sometimes. They interviewed mm-hmm. Simon Kimber this week about Dark Phoenix after it was released and after you know everything went down. Um, he's a very, first of all, he sounds like a very nice guy. Uh, poor kid. Um, <laughs> Kid, <laughs> well, poor Kid. old, poor old ass white man. 
Um, mm-hmm. he you had to. He ruined the the best X Men story ever twice. Yeah, and the thing is, he talks about how he knows the story and everything, but he feels like it's too it's too broad broad to do as a movie that you would have to do as a miniseries instead. So this is why he made this choice and that choice and why they changed the ending and everything. And the interviewer, uh, Jeff Goldsmith, was standing up for him because he liked the movie, apparently. But the whole time I'm listening, like, this is what it sounds like when a train goes off the rails, no pun intended. And, I mean... Wow. That shit just happens sometimes, I guess. He saw, he signed up. They asked him, do you think that Kevin Feige is going to hire him to work on the X-Men for the uh, MCU? And he's like, well, you know, we talk. You know, we're friends and everything. I'm thinking to myself, mm. girl, now, now sis. Now sis. Now sis. Don't, don't die starvation waiting for that phone call. around. Now sis. But, I mean, he'll be fine. He's directing another movie right now, some, something different, and he's writing some other shit. He's, his paychecks are not going to stop. They just won't be involving X-Men anymore. Because, I mean, from what I understand, he's, Good. he's fine writing other stuff. Like, he, he used to work on Star Wars, Clone Wars. People loved him on that. I mean, he did a couple of good X-Men movies. He did the Deadpools. He did uh, Days of Future Past. So he's capable of making a good movie. It's just, you know, I don't know what the fuck happened here. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, like, but that. But so this week, this weekend, we had two wide release movies come out. Uh, well, and then another one, an indie film, um, Late Night with Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling went wide. I haven't seen it yet. But the two new wide release films were Men in Black International and Shaft, which are both sequels in long running franchises. Men in Black International is the fourth Men in Black movie. It stars Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. It has no sign of Will Smith or Tommy Lee Jones ever in a painting on a wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Shaft is the basically it's Shaft Five. It was supposed to go. It was originally called Son of Shaft when it was in production. The joke being that Son of Shaft is also a Stats record song. Uh, but they just, whoever in marketing was like nobody will get it. Turn it to just the regular Shaft. And so now you have three movies in the French in the in this franchise that are sequels to each other. That have the same exact name. So you have to distinguish, I guess, Shaft 71, Shaft 2000, and Shaft 2019. Uh, that one stars um, Jesse T. Usher from Survivor's Remorse, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, oh. Regina Hall, and uh, Richard Roundtree, and Alexander Ship. And so we'll oh, talk God, about- what? <laughs> Damn. Oh God! Oh, no. So Alexandra oh, Ship no. actually she pulled a oh. she pulled a Megan Good this month. She's in two fucking movies at the same time. <laughs> See, Brandon, I love how you like buried the lead on this because I definitely am not seeing this shit now. It's like, oh hell no, hell, hell to the naw, to the no, no, no. You know what? Not doing it. You know what? And the thing, the, the there's two good and bad things here because. The good thing is Megan kind of redeemed herself to me on Shazam. Mm-hmm. Like she was good in Shazam, even though she was only in there for a quick minute. It was mm-hmm. her second best performance ever. But then, <laughs> but then, but then oh. you told me she's working on a Foxy Brown TV show, and then it was like, mm. we not having Trochi Foxy. Trochi Foxy is not happening. Yeah, we not mm-mm. doing it. I don't know how much will make it into the actual show edit, ladies and gentlemen. But in the pre-show, I told everybody that. Um, 
um, Megan Good and her husband, Devon Franklin, who, of course, mm. Reverend Devon Franklin, my bad, no. are working on oh, a Bossy boy. Brown TV show for MGM for streaming someplace. She gonna be celibate and be like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? She gonna be saving herself for the right man somewhere. I'd be like, the hell? I'll get on her Megan the Stallion shit and hop on these dicks. What are we doing? What are we doing? Who been churchy foxy? What the hell? Like, who asked for this? <laughs> foxy, somebody no, trying to steal the ties and offer it. What? Let me go. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Ooh. Somebody hacked the building fund. Oh. <laughs> I, can't. Oh, I can't. A sanctified foxy. That's. <laughs> and it's Sunday too. We going to hell. I'm sorry. Girl, if they make this show, they are going to hell. They'll get there first. <laughs> Why she gonna put his? Why is Devon Franklin gonna just pop up in that boo- in that show as the preacher of the church? You <laughs> uh, like? Why uh, are you here? Right. Uh. <laughs> but yeah. So Ashley, let's go ahead and talk about uh, Shaft versus. I'm the only one who saw it, and I wanted to talk about not just the movie, but what's around it. Uh, you just talking about Shaft? I can dig it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that was so corny. But so I first of all, that vocal version of the song does not appear anywhere in the runtime at all. What? What? Yeah. They, so they hired a white man named Christopher Linertz to do the score. He does oh. like Smurf movies and shit like that. He oh didn't. Well, that explains that. He didn't really write a score. What he did. Because if you've seen the original 1971 Shaft, Isaac Hayes wrote the score for it. That's where Correct. the songs come from. It's three vocal songs and the rest are all <laughs> score music, instrumentals. If you hear the album, the album is just them replaying the score. Like It's not the same way it happens in the movie, but the same pieces, basically. Um, this white man took them pieces, rearranged them a little bit, and put them into this movie. And the movie says music by Christopher Lenertz. It should say music by Isaac Hayes, arranged by... Because I, oh. I, I kept hearing all the other songs from the album, y'all, that aren't themed from Shaft in the movie. No. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> Is he Christopher Columbusing Black Exploitation? What is going on? I was about to say, <laughs> he appropriated the Shaft music. No, it's like, sir, why didn't you just ask Future to do your score? He no, no, no. I like the fact that they did it that way. I just didn't want. Him. <laughs> oh. They just gave the credit to Isaac Hayes. Yes. Score by, original score by Isaac Hayes. Yes, or at least how they did it on Superman 2 where they had some, I forgot who did a Superman 2 score, but it said music by this person using themes from Superman 1 by John Williams. Oh. That works too. John Williams, the GOAT. Yes. But like, that's actually the thing I like least about it. The movie, so in a vacuum, in a world where we don't have think pieces, um, <laughs> oh no! So this shaft is is not like the others. It's it's basically a comedy. It's basically like an R rated version of Blackish and Family Guy had a baby and dressed it up in in um, blasphemation clothes a little bit. Because uh, Kenya Barris and Alex Bernard, I think his name is. I'll go look it up right quick. Um, they wrote this. Kenya Barris, of course. Um, <sighs> it is the creator of Blackish and writer of most of uh. like their key episodes. 
the movie um, is not about Richard. Um, it's not about Richard Roundtree's Shaft or about Samuel L. Jackson's Shaft. They are not the lead characters. The lead character is J.J. John Shaft Jr., played by Jesse T. Usher, um, everyone's favorite friend from Survivor's Remorse, um, and a dude who is totally straight and heterosexual in every way. Brandon. Um, <laughs> okay. All right, you, you, Brandon. Great as the day is long. What did I say? Did I say anything? Oh. You said a, you said a lot. <laughs> you said so much. So it, much. I mean, I didn't say anything that was labella, so I mean, I, I didn't say anything wrong or incorrect. Like he is heterosexual. Is it? Is Just saying. Um, so Jesse oh. Usher is playing John Shaft Jr., who's basically um, Shaft. Shaft is his deadbeat dad, Samuel Jackson Shaft. He's never come to see him. He sent him terrible gifts over the years for Christmas, like condoms and porno magazines and stuff. Um, but he yeah. lived He lived in the suburbs, went group, went to MIT, and he became a data analyst for the FBI. Um, he wears skinny jeans and ties and sweaters. He likes coconut water, and he has a nicely decorated apartment. Um, well, Brandon, this sounds like stuff you're against. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm doing the setup. Um, so it's him, his best friend, Sonia, who's played by Alexandra Shipp, and their best friend, Kareem, uh, who is a um, Muslim army vet. Uh, Kareem is found dead from a drug overdose in, a, in like a drug den. And both Sonia and JJ suspect it's foul play. But when JJ goes to the drug den, like a fucking idiot, gets his ass kicked trying to investigate, he decides he needs to call upon somebody who can help him solve this case. The dad, he's never actually got time to, got to spend time with or really met. And so Ooh. it becomes like a buddy cop comedy where it's Shaft and Shaft Jr. out trying to solve a case. And in between solving the case, Shaft Sr. is asking Shaft Jr. about, because he doesn't really know this boy. And he shows up in skinny jeans drinking coconut water. So his, his immediate thought is, is the boy's gay. <coughs> and you know, this explanation is really a lot. I am about to check out because it's like, what the fuck is going on here? So, like, for the first, movie- first half of the movie, is basically, are you sure you like pussy? Set like that because it's an R rated movie. A, a wow. bunch. Um, I, so, what? your oh. boss will vary whether or not you find that shit funny. Because, like, it's kind of like if Chris Rock had told a joke about, you know Shaft? Y'all remember Shaft? You know these soft-ass millennials we got now? What if Shaft had one of them soft-ass boys? You couldn't even, can you imagine that shit? That's what this movie is, basically, turned into a feature film. Oh, hell. Well, okay. <laughs> so, it's old niggas still. versus young niggas. Yeah, okay. old, old niggas versus young niggas, the movie. It's basically exactly what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Who could barbecue better? Right. Whose ribs look like tape from the tiny So while, while JJ is trying to teach his dad about things like smartphones and computers and all these things and like oh you know, my god and how to what? treat and how to treat women better, um, Shaft Senior is trying to teach his son about how to finally ask out Sonia after all these years and how to the present himself quote unquote as a man to her. Oh my god. This sounds please, so Brandon, Please stop. Oh my God. So please stop. It's like, it's like you're punching us in the face. Please stop. So here's the Throw thing. In the towel. So here's Throw the, the towel. So here's the thing. I'm I'm ter- I'm a terrible person because that shit was funny to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know what? But you knew what, Brandon? I I was scared it was gonna be like this, but I knew it because I know your sense of humor at times. 
And, and when it comes to Negro human, you 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 you're very base. I'm, I'm, I'm very base and very leading when it comes to Negro humor. I really am because, because I remember when, when was, I know right <laughs> when we went to see um we went to see what was it The Hangover. Yeah, this boy this boy did not laugh one time except for when the um when, when the one the, pe- one woman black woman cop was like uh huh I know that's right and the white man pantomimed her. <laughs> And he bust out laughing like it was the funniest thing ever. The worst part, the worst section of the whole movie. And this is the only part where this nigga laughs. Right. But yeah, so that's that's basically what the new shaft is like. And so the reviews have skewered the movie because I mean Samuel Jackson as this shaft. It's basically he's basically it's almost like a Deadpool-esque parody of Shaft in a lot of ways. Like you know, what if you took oh my God, all, all of Shaft's <laughs> best and worst um, sensibilities and you amplified all of them. So he's still like, he could still win any fight. He still gets into, into shootouts and doesn't get a single bullet to anywhere because he's Shaft. He's not going to get Shaft. He's basically a superhero, you know. But at the same time, he treats women like crap. We first meet him um, when he's um, licking glitter off of a stripper's titties. Oh, um, man. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, did you say glitter? I said glitter. Wait, that's not even edible. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They, they, do, they do have some edible brands. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. And... <laughs> and Regina Hall, as um, JJ's mom, is appalled that her son is hanging out with his dad because he is no good, deadbeat, Dom nigga, he'll need to be around my son. But damn, he's still sexy. Uh, <laughs> Are you? She deserves. She deserves so much better. I'm proud of this. Oh, but yeah, that's that's basically the movie. Like, I mean, it, it's very regressive in every way possible. Uh, so it's, but it's kind of like how if y'all saw Sausage Party. Yes, it's it's kind of like uh, like a live action Negro Sausage Party. Is is that out there? Because it's, that is- <laughs> It's racist. It's racist against Latin people. Racist against Islamic people. A little mm. racist against white folks. It's it's definitely. So it's like you just basically described it as booty talk meets a street Latinas. Oh, <laughs> Lord Jesus! Oh, God, no. oh no! I have to go see this now because there's a there's a whole there's a whole scene with Lauren Velez that's partially in the trailers, but in the actual movie, there's so many raunchy jokes they couldn't put in no fucking trailer. Um. There's a scene where so like JJ is supposedly nonviolent and you know and not and um he hates guns he hates violence but um apparently he knows how to fight and knows how to shoot a gun he just doesn't like oh. it apparently because there's one scene where there's a shootout in a restaurant where he he takes Alexander Ship's gun and start and starts blasting motherfuckers left and right. Hey, she has a gun now. Yeah, yeah. What she talks about? Well, I have a gun because I my, it's my First Amendment right to have one. He takes oh, it, starts of shooting people. Our ass would say wow. That. She's and, and she and she's hiding. So she's hiding behind like a table turned over, and she's watching the like the, the the gunfire. And she sees JJ shooting people left and right. And the soundtrack cuts out, and they turn on the Ron SP My Baby, and she starts licking her lips. Her eyes get big and blinky and everything. And I so I I'm laughing. And one side, the second, I'm thinking, my God, they, this is some caveman-ass bullshit they have written into the script. So she, oh, she gets turned on because she, she sees the nigga shooting all these niggas. I'm definitely going to see this shit. I need a hug. I'm 
<laughs> so that is this movie. Um, rating it is hard because I mean I, I would say B and uh, scale it up depending upon how old and black you are. Wait, did you just say B after all of this you just told us? <laughs> right. A B C. Yeah. B, yeah. Like sounds sound like a B to me. It, like like <laughs> it's. Excuse me. What kind of weird grading is this? What is is B after F in this scenario? This sounds like. I mean, this sounds like it's like black dynamite, but less self aware. Yes, it, that's exactly what it's kind of going. It's black dynamite, but less self aware. Like, I think the biggest problem, the reason why I took points off, is because it doesn't quite make the connection of. It never quite comes out and says Samuel O. Jackson's shaft is. Uh, is as a terrible human being. JJ says it a bunch, but he's JJ. We've already been told by this movie that he's a geek and a nerd. We shouldn't really, you know, go by what he says. Oh, because geeks and nerds are untrustworthy right. in the black community. So they, because we yep. don't like smarty art niggas. Right. So they try to have Alexander Ship say it too, but that goes out the window when she gets horny for this nigga watching him shoot motherfuckers. So it doesn't do the thing that all in the family does, which is where it makes it clear that Archie Bunker is the villain of the piece and <laughs> you should not like him. So that's where the problem lies. I mean, I can't pretend like that's not what 60-year-old Black people act like. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. So, and the audience I saw with, they, listen, there was a couple next to me, an older Black couple. You would have thought this was Endgame. <laughs> the way they were. <laughs> I saw, you know, it's Atlanta. It was like a sold-out crowd of Black people in the middle of the afternoon. They loved it. They loved every goddamn second of it. They know their audience. Right. It, I mean, I want to see what... Did you look at... Did you break down critics by race, perhaps? Uh, I, I, did, I tried my best. So, the Black... Always, there's only four or five professional Black critics who reviewed it. Two of them gave it zeros because, you know, it's homophobic and it's, it's sexist and it's racist. And, and if you're a black reviewer, you're probably homophobic. Oh, homo. Okay. Oh, boy. I mean... Well. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of them gave it good reviews and everything um, because, they, you know, it's like um, they pointed out that, you know, this is kind of... That's, that's, what, that's what my dad's like. Um, everyone's it's violent. Yeah. It's a deep cut. Yeah, everyone's minds were very widely with this movie. I'm surprised that this a studio movie went this far without some sort of safety net of having Samuel Jackson in the last reel be like, you know what, son? I'm sorry for all those things I said. I'm sorry I thought you... I, I'm, I'm sorry I called you gay, and I'm sorry for thinking gay was a bad thing. They needed to, to go family match with it in the last few minutes just to clean all that shit up because, I mean, they kept, he kept... Like, ask, he, like he goes to the boy's house and he's got like a lemon stand in his house. And he's like, what the fuck is that? Dad, it's a lemon stand. It makes a house a home. No, what it makes is a homo house. Wow. And he's like, Dad, you can't say things like that. I'm, I'm, plus, I'm not gay. Oh, yeah, what, what are you? Are you, you, um, um. Um, non-binary, cisgender, or whatever. Stop when I check your box, whatever it is. Wow. Wait a minute. You okay. know what? And you're saying all of this and still giving it a B. You know what? You know, this sounds like a movie that in the 90s or maybe 1988 would have been the bomb. <laughs> like, 
20 or 30 years ago, couldn't tell nobody shit with these lines. Because, like, I went back and watched House Party. Yeah. Uh, and I saw that... I went and saw I saw that scene where uh where kid was in jail talking about people getting HIV and fucked up the butt and I'm like oh yeah. my god yeah. this could not fly yep now it's a lot like um, that it's a lot like that yeah. like where, just, it, it, this is like this is this feels like it's a it's it's appealing to your uncles and your aunties who don't go to the movies they're gonna see this on yeah. bootleg or yeah, on so, a church so here's the thing with this movie this movie is only being released in North America. Uh, Warner Brothers sold the rights to international distribution to Netflix, which means that in roughly eight days, um, wait, today, wait, it goes on, on the 28th, so 12 days, it'll be on Fire Stick in HD. Because oh, I, I know how y'all niggas are who are listening to this. Oh, and yeah. y'all white folks, too. Oh, oh. <laughs> and, but you know what? <laughs> I bet you how, I bet you this is going to be a hit in some, in some of the um, red states. Oh, yes, yes. So the Red State Reviewers are the, for the few people who gave it good reviews. What? The Red State Reviewers gave it good reviews. Like the people who write for the local paper in Oklahoma and Arkansas, they gave oh. it good reviews. That's, that needs to be, the title needs to be something like that, a Red State favorite. <laughs> red State staff, the Red State pick of the week. <laughs> Lord Jesus. I am so glad you broke that down. Right. Ali, are you there? I am. So I, I told, wanted to get Ali Ali cream. So Ali didn't see the movie, but I described it to him. And he's and he was like, Brandon, I will never see this movie as long as I fucking live. <laughs> and we had a discussion about um mostly about what does it say about black people that, you know, everybody in the theater, myself included, I ain't gonna lie, I'm gonna put myself in it too. Everybody thought the shit was funny. Like I nausea shit was problematic as shit. I mean, you know... Nigga, you sold me on seeing it. <laughs> but, like... Can, now, you, I, can you laugh at somebody who is ignorant and not feel like you are laughing with them, I guess, is the question. Mm-hmm. When they're a character in, like, a film like this. When they're, like, when there's Samuel Jackson as Shaft. Thoughts? Wait, who was the... Who, who's the question to? Everybody, actually. But oh, I, I, I yeah. kind of want to make sure Ali was here too because he was like, Brandon, I'm going to come on the show and, and cuss you out for <laughs> this, watching this movie. <laughs> I will cuss you out. Oh, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, everybody can answer though. Oh, yes. There is so much stuff that has not aged well and I still watch it and go, this did not age well. Still funny as hell. Did not age well. Yeah, I mean, I, Oh, go ahead. For a certain a certain age group, like like Ken said, right? It's <laughs> yeah. There's also a lot of why you millennials always be texting. Why don't y'all use the phone and actually call somebody? It is a phone, you isn't it? Talk to you niggas. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot yeah, of that. We don't, don't want to talk to you. How how even the fuck old is Tim Story? Tim Story's the director of this. You know, Tim Story did being like a man's. And Ride Alongs. Fantastic Fours. Fantastic Fours, yes. Okay. He's 49 years old. Mm. He's so he's he's barely an old black man age. Like Yeah. Like a lot of he's these probably, jokes he wrote. He's probably himself. got collection Jordans. He's probably wearing Jordans or like Reebok classics as his old man shoe. 
Yeah, but yeah, so that's Shaft. You won't see it in the theater because I'm um, Regal and all them going to pull the shit out of the theater as soon as they get the chance. As they should. Um, and, uh, you, you will probably what's coming see... Out in the... Go ahead. Uh, what's coming... What's the next Negro picture on the docket? Oh, God, Christ. Uh, the Last Black Man in San Francisco is, I think, going to go wide eventually. It's only in, like, limited release right now. Uh, besides that, I'm thinking, um, does the kitchen with Tiffany Haddish count? No. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the next Negro picture is, to be honest with you. I know that Ride Alone 3 comes out at some point. Tim Story and Kevin Hart and Ice Cube are going back to that well. Huh? We still doing that? Yes, we're still doing that. Okay. Um, Jumanji? No, it doesn't count. I mean, it's got two black leads. Okay, that doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, only one of them might actually cop being black on like audio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that that shaft. Um, uh, I will say instead, sure. of use, instead of using the Isaac Hayes song, they they used the remix by Quavo. 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 Oh, what's the, what's the remix by Quavo? He did a shaft cover. And it's like him, you know, and doing his Quavo thing. Yerp! You know, all that kind of, you know, shit that the kids do. Mama! Yeah, all that. <laughs> you know what was funny today? So I heard, actually, I was on somebody's IG story, and it had an Amigo song, like, playing, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I actually like this song, but, I, could, but I, I didn't know what the song was. So I'm like, well, let me Google the lyrics so, you know, maybe I can figure it out. Like, and no dig against them, but their lyrics are so generic on their songs, I couldn't figure out what the song was. Just, it's just words. Is that what you're saying, Ken? Just words? <laughs> it's like, how many times have you, like, they've used the same words over and over again in different songs? Like, what was it? Uh, grab Girls by the Gang and, like, other lyrics, like, car go poop, go skirt, skirt, and everything. It was just like, yeah, they say this in almost every song, so you really can't look it up by the lyrics. Fuck you, So the fuck can't. All right, so Men in Black International. Now, Ooh. I will let y'all go first because I talked a lot about Shaft, and I want. And I, You're damn right. And I'm hope, hopefully <laughs> y'all enjoy Men in Black International better than I did because when I get when it gets to me, I'm warning y'all now. I'm about to skewer this motherfucker. But go um, ahead. So, <laughs> so kind of actually. Sorry to do this, but like regarding your question about laughing the problematic shit, um, yeah, you you listing how problematic Shaft was has sold me on seeing Shaft because <laughs> that is also my sense of humor. Um, the like the homophobia beats would normally bother me, but well, one you know, happy holiday season, and two, um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I expect. Old black people being problematic is something I find to be hilarious. Um, and plus, it's Jesse T. Usher. I've I've told every joke. My food is good. I I told every joke in the in that Samuel Jackson tells that movie about Jesse T. Usher in real life. So I can't be mad. Yeah, yeah, that's Samuel Jackson must have studied IG before the movie. That's all. Brandon is is young and problematic. So (laughs) (laughs) Jesse Jesse T. Usher is going to send all of his thugs to your place. Not all your stuff. Okay, you you walk me literally into a bad joke that I cannot tell. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I had to, Brandon, I had to Brandon, hold my tongue. 
Right. Right. <laughs> and they're gonna walk outside and see people J setting. <laughs> and- <laughs> that was what I was gonna say. <laughs> wow. Oh no! <laughs> wow. yeah, that, was, that was a poorly because somebody was like, "Why they cast Jesse Usher? Why they cast Jesse Usher? They should have cast somebody else." I was like, "Oh no! For the for the story they wrote, that's who they wanted. <laughs> that's who they wanted. <laughs> Him. Uh, <laughs> that went over there. <laughs> no, not touching that at all." Um, but you know, like I saw, well, I saw Men in Black. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, in terms of positives, like Tessa Thompson and Chris Helmsworth have amazing chemistry, and like Kamal uh, Nanjiani. Okay, okay, cool. Because uh, I probably about to say some problem. Um, you know, like he's really good in his role. Um, I think uh, Ralph Spall, or however the fuck you say his name, he's good. Um, honestly, there was only one casting I had a problem with. Uh, I, is, is it cool to spoil this shit? I mean, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you've not seen Men in Black International, well, really quickly, t- give, we'll save that for a little spoiler session later on. Give me your generic okay. thoughts. Don't spoil it yet. Okay, generic thoughts. Um, yeah, no, like the chemistry and the actors was good. Um, I mean, the only problem was that we don't really get enough spots of comedy between Tessa Thompson and Chris Helmsworth. The ones we do get are really good. Um, but like the plot itself gives it away. Like, if you don't have good logical, like deductive reasoning, <laughs> then you will probably think this movie's amazing. Um, but if you can figure out like if if A, if A, then B then you're going to figure out what this movie is and what the plot is very quickly. Um, and it wasn't, which is, and because it gives itself away so fast, it's like when they finally do hit like the twist, I didn't find myself thinking like, wait, something is missing. And more like, oh, good, you niggas finally caught up with the rest of the audience. Thank you. Um, and like, I don't know who the fuck the audience for this is because like, given the way that the Men in Black movies have been spaced out and released, like, I was what? The first Men in Black movie came out in 97. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was six. I remember all these movies. So I had to, like, try God. to not... Yeah, yeah he, he's young. He's young. Oh, my God. I was... um, Somebody passed me to Bengay. What is going I, I, was, on? I was 15, so... <laughs> well, I, I don't know, time. Yeah. Uh, but... So, like... Hey, I was 15, I... too. So, like, I remember as a kid, like, being big-eyed and shit, watching, like, uh, Will Smith shoot at a fucking 20-foot cockroach. And then I don't remember Men in Black 2, and I remember getting, like, weepy-eyed during Men in Black 3. But I don't know the audience for this is because everyone who would see it and remembers who they are will have nostalgia going into this and probably walk out disappointed. Um, And, like, you know, the story isn't really, like, anything amazing. And... Uh, the actors that I listed, I think they get very good performances and have good chemistry, but you can tell like the writing is pretty weak. Um, and also the whole like calling it international. Um, I, I know that like the baseline for Americans is stupid and that we can barely know anything <laughs> about like the countries. South. We assume almost every country south of us is Mexico unless something uh, otherwise. Um, and we assume everything to the east of us is basically England or some other variety of England. Uh, that doesn't speak English. Um, I don't call your movie like Men in Black International if you're gonna go from NYC to London. 
and then you go and mention like this isn't really this isn't really a spoiler, but like they mention like our North African division is handling that. But like when you finally get to a situation where you would see like MIB North Africa, you get a bunch of white people pulling up. And last I checked, I mean they light skinned out there, but they ain't white. So like the whole like I it feels like like you know it's, it's international. I'm like it's not international if the world is just gonna be like New York to London and then you know I mean North Africa. I'm like, nigga, that's seven countries. Pick one. Right. So, and yeah. Yeah, so I guess if I had to give it a grade, I would give it probably like um, I mean, I do, I really wish the Tessa Thompson and Chris Helmsworth were getting something that like, I love them Marvel and like, you can tell that them two have very good chemistry and I hope that they can end up in something better than this. I would give this like a C minus D plus. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, that's it for like not spoilers, but yeah, it's. Whew. Okay. All right. Uh, Stephanie. Oh, this was actually, um, one of my gifts from my father to take him to go see men in black. So I actually took him, uh, today. I am kind of in the same vein of men in black movies. Like I've always enjoyed these movies. But the spacing of it has always been so ridiculous to me because it's literally like every 10 years a Men in Black movie comes out. And so I'm like, yeah, you can't build the momentum of the fan base of Men in Black because you guys don't keep the momentum. Like By the time people like get on the train, you're not putting out another movie for another 10 years, which doesn't make any sense to me. So I went into this movie like, I like Chris Hemsworth. I really, really like Tessa Thompson. So I know I'm going to enjoy this. And I did. Was the plot weak? Absolutely. But I will say, the plots have not always been that strong with Men in Black movies. So I kind of figured it'd be par for the course <laughs> for these movies. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed the character of uh, Pawnee. I thought he literally was the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think um, Men in Black has always been like campy fun and he brought the campy fun because Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth characters did not. And I think that was probably people who don't, who aren't going to enjoy this movie, that's what they're going to miss. They're going to miss the goofball cop that was Will Smith and then the straight man, which was Tommy Lee Jones. And also Josh Brolin, if you watch the third one. Um, so I actually enjoyed the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I gave it a grade, I would give it like a C or a B minus, mostly because I didn't expect to see Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. But I did enjoy the chemistry between Tessa and Chris. Um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Man who likes to carry on a caution uh, wants to attack Black people. I didn't think he was bad. But, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like you go, mm, I think you kind of could figure it out. But I think the way they did it, I didn't see that coming. It was like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, okay. But, yeah, I like more, I like that they had more tech with the weapons. That was the other thing that I liked. I thought it was. Oh, that was so fun. Yeah, I liked that they had more gadgets because that was the other thing missing in the other movies. It wasn't a lot of gadgets. It was more slapstick and funny banter between Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. But also, 
no shade to Thor and Valkyrie, Will Smith was a bigger star. And he has the charisma for screen. I don't know what it is. You know, like, what people are made to do. Will Smith is made to entertain people. And he actually does a very good job at it. Yeah, like, he apparently, when he was on Fresh Prince, he decided that he was going to study not acting so much as being a star. Says, mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. it would take to be the biggest movie star on the planet. Yeah. Because you got to have the charisma. Like, you can, like, act your way out of a paper bag, but if you don't have the charisma, it's like, eh, it's, it, you're not going to go far. Right. Okay, Ken, did you see Men in Black? I didn't. Okay. All right, so for me, um, I really like Chris Hemsworth. I really like Tessa Thompson. I thought Thor Ragnarok was amazing, the two of them together. I thought they would have been great in their scenes, brief as they were in Endgame. I don't know what happened with Men in Black International. So let me paint a picture, though. I saw Men in Black International at the Cinebistro in Atlanta. Bistro. So which means I paid $18 for my ticket mm. and $15 wow. more for food. Wow. Oh, oh wow. Oh, boy. <sighs> we making money out here. <laughs> we losing money out here. Yeah. <laughs> I, cause the thing is, I don't know how we feel about, that's actually, a, um, if I see a movie I want to walk out of, is that okay for you guys <laughs> off the show? Because literally, halfway through, if I did not have to come and talk about this movie today, I would have walked out and asked for a refund. Woo. That's how God I didn't damn. like the movie. at Like, oh, I thought everything about it was a complete slog. I thought that I, for whatever reason, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth's acting was way off. Liam Neeson was fine, but boring. Everybody else was crying just fine. The music score was distracting and loud and, and inappropriate. The direction and the editing and the cutting was bad. The CGI was was spotty. I won't say it was all bad. It was spotty. Uh, like, I literally watched it in the movie theater, like, with leftover uh, sweet potato fries. Like, what in the blue fuck am I watching? Where's Men in Black? Like, where's a little bit of excitement? They had all this time and a new cast to reinvigorate. Because the thing is, I like Men in Black 1. That's one of those classic childhood movies that we grew up with. Men in Black 2, I thought was terrible. I saw it. I rented it from Blockbuster. Shows how long ago this was. Um, and I hated every minute oh of it. I thought they wasted Rosario Dawson. The shit made no sense and the CGI was bad. I never saw part three. Because I'd heard about how strenuous the process of making part three was. And they started shooting it without a script. And I was like, you know what? I don't need these problems in my life. So I just, I just skipped it. Wait a minute. How do you... They started shooting without a script. Yes, they did. Because yeah. uh, there was some sort of New York City tax break they were trying to get. And they couldn't wait around any longer. Because Will Smith didn't like the script they had. He was ordering people to rewrite it. But they had to start shooting something because they needed to get some scenes out of the way. So they said, we'll just shoot the part we know is set, leave the rest for later, shoot background plays and do some green screen shit. What? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, oh yeah. boy. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just feel like... Um, really wow, and I was just talking about the other movie. Dark uh, Phoenix. No, not Dark Phoenix. Uh, what was the movie you said? They, Xanadu. Yeah, Xanadu. Sh- like, forgetting to shoot a scene. At least they had... <laughs> They at least had a script, so hey. Yeah. I had no idea what that was. Yeah, I didn't like the movie. Yet. The only part of it I really liked was like the final battle I thought was kind of cool in places. Like, literally everything else, like, 
I just I I just didn't like it. Like I'll give it a C minus, like or a D plus. Actually, I just feel like it's a, it's, it's worth of a D plus. It was that unentertaining to me. Like, and I feel bad because I was think in the theater thinking, what white man directed this and ruined this fucking movie? And then I started texting y'all from the front row. So I went down to the front row of Cinema Bistro and just laid out and just like, well, if I ain't leaving, I'll at least just be comfortable. And Ali reminded me that F. Gary Gray. A black man who is directed great things like Set It Off and Friday and Straight Outta Compton and Fast and the Furious 8. He directed this. And I'm like, how? None of his style is in this. None of his technique. Like the edit. And then there's three fucking editors on the movie. And between the three of them, they don't know how to cut from master shot to reverse shot to fucking and like put the, sit the. I was like, what am I watching? It felt like, it felt like a, like a, like a, one of them YouTube, um, what do you call them? Super cuts where um, some 18-year-old cuts the shit up for their favorite parts and just strings it together. Like, I just didn't like it. I'm sorry. I I I I can't <laughs> I can't recommend it at all. I was appalled that they had all this time in that great cast, and that's the movie that you made. It's barely even a movie. I like this less than I like Dark Phoenix. Oh wow! Oh God! Okay. Yeah, yeah. Dark too, Phoenix is saving far, grace. Is, Dark Phoenix, it, it, this saving grace is at least it's humorous. Yeah, it's got like some little bits of life in it here and there. It doesn't make a whole. No, lot I of mean it's yeah. a comedy of errors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was about to say, what are you saying, Ken? <laughs> I mean, every time I go to an ice machine, I I chortle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, store, can you help us out? Click, click. Oh, fuck that movie. Y'all niggas don't go oh to 7-Eleven and leave me alone. Right. Wow. And so, slavery. Yes. So, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen Men in Black International, which I don't recommend that you do, everybody else's mileage may vary, uh, we're going to go into spoilers right now, really quick. So, spoilers. Liam Neeson's the bad guy. Fuck Liam Neeson. They need to cast some other treacherous ass white man for that role because <laughs> the minute I saw him, because the way that they shoot it, when it's like, okay, Chris Holmes gets shot down the elevator shaft and then Liam Neeson just standing there, I'm like, okay, he was probably switched out. Mm. And also, like, it's Liam Neeson. Like, if he's in a role, if he's not in a lead role, I'm like, okay, this nigga's evil somehow. And I mean, beyond the fact he's actually evil. Right. And I'm like, yo, he's. Like, you gave away the plot, so when you then have, like, what is it, back towards them when it's like, oh, you saved the day. And it's like, wait, I didn't have, I didn't have the emotional response of, like, there are, like, 20 or 30 minutes left in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, something. yeah. As soon as you saw, realized that it was that false ending, I was like, all right. <laughs> but, like, the false, the, the false ending didn't feel earned. It felt like, okay, so the movie isn't as smart as me. Okay. Um, or probably most people watching it because they'll be like, yeah, they this this shit was clear from like a mile away. And yeah, like and I would also say that like I did um to to the second uh the second uh the point made, I very I did also like they had all them gadgets, but like I I was also kind of like, wait, why are these two niggas breakdancing? And then I found out that that's actually what those two uh yeah, the, the two they uh, twins. The they twins, yes, like who played like yeah. the little the, the smoke monsters. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, this is okay. So these niggas are gonna blend in by breakdancing. I mean, I guess and find out. Oh, that's what they're famous for. Okay, <laughs> but even even then, I'm like, yo, like, 
yeah, like that bothered me when they send all them agents down there. I'm like, so y'all can't get like, so you have no like eight, you have an MIB North Africa, but not like any niggas who uh, as right. agents. So okay. my question was this, wasn't the whole part of men in black just be in the shadows and not show themselves to people if they did, they had to flash thing everybody. Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson have a whole fucking uh, light cycle chase through um, um, Marrakesh Marketplace. Well, that's the thing, too. For all the gadgets that they added in, in the older movies, whenever they would do something that was on, like, a large scale, they show, like, oh, did we mention that, like, this light pope, this fucking, like, traffic light is also one of the flashy things? Or, like, and they even kind of try that with her on the back of the motorcycle, like, flashy eyes, like, two people. That's like, well... Like, they've yeah. shown that they have technology to do that on a large scale, but they apparently don't. So just be like, yep, uh, yep, that, uh, that black woman, that white man just flew by on a motorcycle. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was just like, y'all are breaking. You're breaking your own rules, Freddy. <laughs> it was doing a lot. Um, and they broke the rule about their own names, too, right. which uh, I don't think happened in the original at all. Um, like, I mean, I know he called uh, fucking Will Smith kid the entire time, but still, like, that was kind of... And even the part where it's like, look, Chris Ellsworth has, like, two good settings uh, without a shirt and being funny. If you, get <laughs> if you can get both of them, you're doing good. But, like, this movie didn't really have enough of either. Um, and the point about, like, the way that they were, you don't really have a good contrast because it's like, she's the rookie, but she's smart, and he's the vet, but he's stupid. Right. And they don't... They don't play into it well enough to where you would think they would as far as, like, her trying to always... It's not... It's hinted at in places, but it's not played with the emotion... Character depth that it needs to be played for the laughs and for the content of the plot. Right. And that was something that just kind of... Like, for... Like, them two got some strong-ass chemistry uh, for me to just kind of be like... I mean, they kind of hint at the fact that, like, Chris Helmworth is kind of stupid and bad at his job, but like they don't really lean into it enough. So yeah, that was and but yeah, no, my big spoiler was like, yeah, Liam Neeson is the bad guy, and if you see Liam Neeson, be like, oh, this motherfucker's evil. Um, yeah, he's like Liam Neeson. If he's not a lead, he's one of them actors where I'm like, I only know you for doing roles where you're evil. It's like if I see a movie starring a black woman working in a corporate setting, and then like. She calls somebody. It's like, oh, that's her boyfriend. And then later, you find out her boyfriend is uh, what? what oh, what's the nigga that threw them uh, kids out the Michael window? In, uh, <laughs> yes, Michael Ealy. I'm like, okay. by the third act, he's gonna try to kill her. Yeah, yeah like yeah. he's typecast that way. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Well, he, he he did that on purpose. He wanted to be typecast that way because he somebody told him in in drama school that light skinned niggas can't play villains, and so he's like, I'll show you. <laughs> so he, he well, brought that on himself. Uh, but yeah, well, I was, I was going to say, Crips Hemsworth in this movie, speaking of, like, you know, not to objectify him, but sure, let's objectify him. Um, speaking of his not his no, not wearing a shirt mode, you could tell he didn't work out for this movie. He he felt, I felt like he came, he's like, please say I don't have to work out. Please. <laughs> it's just, it's like, you can see, like, he's not in, like, I mean, he's not fat, like, he's not like, fat Thor or anything, but, like, He's like he's hydrated, yeah. and the, he's the he is the high school or college athlete. Like two weeks after the season's ended, 
where they probably put on a little bit of weight. They're hydrated. They're actually eating correctly. But not, I say that shit because I used to wrestle. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, so you're, like, you're still like Jack, but this isn't like the, oh, wow, Thor has the all 16 of the abs out. This, this isn't that. Right. So like, a, so like he's like a marshmallow? No, he's just like a regular dude. All season yeah. over. Oh, see, see, yes. Thor. <laughs> Thor. But yeah, that that's that's this movie. Um, yeah. So, uh, Men in Black International has only made twenty eight million dollars in America, North America for opening weekend, which makes it the lowest grossing one of these ever. Which wouldn't be as bad, except that they had wanted to at least have made fifty. I think they wanted forty or fifty. That ain't happening. Yeah, like. Um, overseas is made more, so it's doing, I guess, okay-ish. But um, the juggernaut that is the Walt Disney Company is coming out next week with um, um, <laughs> Toy Story 4, which has an 100% approval rating of Rotten Tomatoes. I think even Armor White liked the shit. Um, that's, that's, I, that's what that, I wanted to know. Wait, I wanted to know how he felt about... about Let me double um, check to see staff. if... It, Oh, I, I didn't see his review. I, I was looking. I was looking for it. I didn't see it. Uh, that, I, Toy I, Story, that Toy Story Four is going to hit every other movie like a bus. Yes, it is. Like it's going to be like in game. Uh, Forky's going. I uh, hear going. He's going to kill the game. Can you imagine a spork? Not even a real toy. <laughs> a spork is going to destroy all this. There's going to be a story about KFC running out of sporks. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. I'm not a toy. Ah! <laughs> this fire I mean, so it's a, and it's a toy you can make at home. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this exactly. is gonna sell. They're, they're going to sell Forkies. They're going to sell action figures that are basically just forks with with pipe And if you think I'm not going to buy one, you got another thing coming. <laughs> That's so crazy. There's absolutely absolutely no cost. There's very little cost in making a sporky toy. And they're going to try to sell that shit for like, you know, oh, uh, (laughs) $18.99. Look, when was the last time you bought a pipe cleaner? Nigga, it's Hmm. been like 30 years. (laughs) I I was just looking for my church. I mean, who actually buys them or can find one? Um, My nephew loves them, so we buy them all the time. Oh, okay. That's nice. Mm-hmm. He loves because he likes making like numbers and everything, so he uses it to make numbers out of. That is so. That is awesome. Aww, that's cute. So it's my time to shine. I'm gonna make him a Sporky. Oh, Michael's to the rescue. <laughs> but yeah, it, for, Forky, not Sporky, my bad. But like, um, you know, Child's Play opens up the same day as Toy Story Four is coming Friday. And I love, and I love that they had the um. The uh, marketing with with the, com- uh, the posters where they were killing all the toys from they, Toy Story. So I, they're doing too much with those. Like the Woody one was cool. Then they killed the dog. I was like, okay. Then they killed Buzz. I was like, okay, stop this shit. <laughs> oh, they didn't want killing Buzz. Let yes. me go, <laughs> It's like, are they gonna kill Bo Peep next, Mr. Potato Head? God, I would. I- I would love listen, if they had a poster with Bo Peep and like just like the she, the wool around her body. Yeah. I would, yeah I would, and a I bonnet would, splattered with blood. hmm But yeah, I, I still can get that meme out of my head. Somebody said that the new Chucky looks like Tisha Campbell. 
Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, no. Oh no. That's but I, the bill. I love how Tisha Campbell is everybody's favorite person to meme onto somebody else's face though. She is like our she was like our muse. <laughs> She's still the she's, she's still the girl. I'm still here. here. She's still the girl from Little Shop of Horrors, popping up in random places in random outfits. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, besides these two movies, did y'all see anything else? One other thing I saw was um, Shaft seventy one. I revisited it to just remember what it was like after I saw the new one. Um, and not Shaft. I've never seen that actually. Yeah, it's it's very good. Like it's very good, like dark noir, but you have to pay attention to it, it's, and it's very slow. Even for a mm-hmm. 1970s movie. Uh, Gordon Parks directed it. Isaac Hayes did the score. Richard Roundtree and Moses Gunn star in it. Um, I found out that Ernest Tidyman, the white man who wrote the novel that it's based on, he doesn't like the movies at all. He thought the movies made Shatton's too much of a soul brother superhero where he had just written a detective who was black. Mm-hmm. So, oh, man. Tough break, nigga. Um, <laughs> yeah, him and his his widow, Chris Clark, who was the white woman on Motown that Barry Gordy hid in the closet from Diana Ross when he was cheating. Uh, <laughs> they don't like the movies at all. They was, Every time somebody asks them about it, or asks her about it now that, that he's gone, uh, she talks about how much she doesn't like the Shaft movies, how they violated her her, her ex her late husband's um, vision of what this character was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I like I saw fucking X Men Dark Phoenix, and all I can say is that I just wish I could hug the X Men properties and be like, the bad people at Fox can't hurt you anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but yeah, anything else? Y'all, um, two of y'all are talking about um, Pose season two premiere before we start. Oh, yeah. before we start talking about Pose, can I just tell you? I don't know why I did this. It's probably because I was doing my hair. But I rewatched uh, the movie Priest with Paul Bettany. Mm-hmm. It's a it is a terrible movie in the movie theater, but for some odd reason, it is riveting on the television. It's Paul Bettany overacting this silly ass um, video game movie or comic book movie. I don't know what it's based on. Um, Carl Urban deserves so much better because God, that man, he's been in everything, and you know it should have been the. Uh, surgeons, not resurgence, of Maggie Q, but alas, they were all in this movie about uh, priests who kill vampires that have no eyes and they're actual creatures as opposed to, you know, evolving from humans. They're actual weird creatures all by themselves. And then the queen, I don't know what the hell she is, maybe a bee, I don't know what the fuck she is, um, gives her blood to Carl Urban and then he becomes a human vampire. That's a thing. Like Blade? Like, well, no, like, not like a hybrid, like, literally, like, vampires are totally separate from humans in this universe. Oh. And then we've been in this quote unquote war for centuries. I'm like, if these things are bigger and stronger and faster than us, how do we keep living? It's like, I I don't understand. They have like this weird tattoo on their faces. It's, It's a lot. But on television, I don't know. It's like, Paul Bettany deserves better things because I think around either it was right after this or before this, he was also in the movie Legion. Mm-hmm. And it was like, why, why do y'all keep giving him, if he doesn't go back to being the robot and then Vision 
in the Avengers movies and stop trying to make him a leading man, even though I want him to have nice things. Those movies are terrible. <laughs> but very entertaining at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> mm. Okay. Um, while it's not a movie, uh, I did chase down the uh, Buzz Lightyear Child's Play uh, thing and found they did a claymation uh, trailer for that movie. What? And um, yeah, this is fucked up. This movie's gonna be a goddamn mess. He's stabbing the shit out of Gumby. Oh no! Hello? 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 Did something happen? Oh no, no, no. Oh. No. You stuff are you there? Can you hear me? Papa, can you hear me? We'll work on that um, later, I guess. Uh, he's not here yet, I don't think. Um, but yeah, so, um, you guys talk about Pose yet? I just went to the restroom right quick. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Oh. Yeah. You no, want to tell before that happens? <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think you went to the bathroom. You just said, yeah, y'all going to talk about Pose. You went to the bathroom. You were like, we were like, well, before we do. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You talk about, oh, yeah, you're talking about priest and then. Oh. Yeah, but yeah. I think Brandon thought we got to it. We were like, no, not yet. <laughs> Where the host at? <laughs> Where the host at? <laughs> Where the host at? I'm like, hello, police. Why is Ollie asking about where the host at? Not, not the host. <laughs> the host. <laughs> but yeah, y'all go ahead and talk about um foes. Okay, where should we start? Because whoo boy. Mm. Was it good? It was good. It was uh, It was heavy, and then it wasn't heavy at the same time. But it opened up so heavy. Because now it's set in the 90s, and we are at uh, the epidemic of the AIDS crisis, where it was like hundreds of people dying a week. Like, people couldn't stay alive. Yeah, I've heard I've I've heard accounts of other like I haven't watched Pose yet, which I will. But I have I every, people who talk about it online or, or documentaries or whatever on on TV. It's always it's always been that man. It's it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to actually be living through something like this where you just one minute you're talking to somebody last week, next minute they're they're dead. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um well it doesn't that doesn't really happen to the main characters in Pose, but um it's not that bad. I, no. I, I I'll I'll let Mocha start. Cause I, I have I have some strong opinions about this first episode. Yeah, so it opened up with uh Praytel <laughs> and Blanca going to see somebody. Now, I'm thinking, it was weird when they walked in. They, I thought they were going to a funeral. They actually are going to a place where if people, either their families didn't, couldn't bury them or they were just found in a home or like, the hospital got rid of the body, like they mm-hmm. had bodies in pine boxes with numbers in mm-hmm. a field. Or yeah, it's a potter's field. Yeah, and I was just like, oh... I was not ready to see something like that. I'm like, wait, this is real. This is real life. I was like, oh my gosh. So it started off super heavy. And of course, we're still getting into um, 
one, they're now talking about the emergence of Madonna's Vogue and what that means, basically bringing a art form that was that is created and maintained by black and brown queer people. A blonde-headed white woman from New York all of a sudden puts it on the radio and in a video. And they're looking at it like, ooh, now our community is going to be seen. But I'm they haven't like fully had the conversation yet, but it's starting the conversation of, oh, you're going to show like, um, this is bringing our community to the light, but everybody here knows that's not exactly the conversation that was happening with Vogue. Because you didn't find out until years oh, after Vogue that, hey, she didn't make any of this up. Like, this actually was black and brown queer people who made up Vogue. Yeah. So you don't really find it out when it's happening. They're just thinking, oh... Um. Oh my God, Madonna's a genius. That was that was the framing because you know I was a little girl, but I still remember that it was like Madonna is a genius. Madonna is innovative, even though she didn't flat out say I'm an innovator, but she didn't exactly say, "Hey, this wasn't me making this up." Yeah, I mean, she tried to say, "Well, I had Willie Ninja in the video." I was giving them props, but it's not right. like she was she did much for Willie in the in the in the in the. The rest of the people that she had featured in there after that, right? Like I'm wondering how Vogue even became to her attention. Well, and that's the thing because Madonna was a club kid, kind of like Lady Gaga was. Yeah, she was always in the club, so of course she saw it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's like she was always in the she was a club kid. Mm-hmm. So that's how she saw it, and you know, when it comes to black and brown people, we don't necessarily oh you white get out you going to steal our stuff. We just let everybody in because we're in- more inclusive than um, everybody else around us. Like, we get excluded from everything, but we don't exclude other people. Mm-hmm. Which, who Chile? Um, we also got to see <laughs> the, uh, the the juxtaposition of Ken- sorry, white... Kendrick. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? I'm, I just walked for a minute. <laughs> Why? Like, Why? I need for you to understand when you when like you got to put yourself on mute when you're moving around because it sounds to us it sounds like 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 um er, like Earl Laundry. Flynn is, is swashbuckling. Laundry. Oh yeah. <laughs> so sorry. I'm sorry, Stephanie. Go ahead. You're, you're fine. fine. I'm sorry. I thought I okay. You're fine. Okay. So in this first episode, you see the juxtaposition of white queer activism as opposed to um, Black activism and then the intersection of that. Because here it is, you see the white queer um, activism trying to get Black people involved. Yeah. And then you also start the conversation of everybody in the press group is not an activist. And we really need to stop trying to make everybody in the press group an activist when Mm -hmm. they are not equipped. Yes. Because Homegirl is not equipped and she never has been. I don't know why y'all thought she was going to be. No. Now, if you had a stunt to pull, mm-hmm. that that's her all day. Right. <laughs> but, honey, she is not an activist and I don't know why y'all thought she would. And I will say this, Billy V. Porter gave us everything in this episode. He gave us monologues. He acted the house down. I'm like, if you don't stop, we get it. You're getting an Emmy. God damn it. It's like, <laughs> just, just give him an Emmy now. I mean, he's been underrated for 
decades at this point. Decades. It's, he's making like, up for lost time. <laughs> he gave us theater. <laughs> so I remember when they, they when people first started talking about him, like Billy Porter. Billy Porter's at the red carpet of this. Billy Porter's on pose. I was like, this is the same Billy Porter, right? From like back in the dated back in the early two thousands. I went, it's the same nigga. I was like, oh, congratulations. We've Y'all have finally caught up to the theater people. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Right. I'm like, where have I been? All I knew was about him and that song from the First Wives Club. That uh, was my introduction to Billy Porter. He played um, Jimmy Early in um, the Dream Girls on concert. The one with um, Heather Headley and um, Audra McDonald in it. So that's where I knew him from. Ah, okay. Yeah. I think it's a good episode. I can't wait to see this this bigger conversation. Oh, and also, y'all need to leave Angel alone. And I'm tired of Angel being dis like taken advantage of by um white men. Mm-hmm. I'm so sick of that. I'm like, stop, leave Angel alone. All right. <sighs> okay. Anything else, right quick? So we do have to go on to like the main topic. Uh, anything? I, I did have some stuff I wanted to say about this episode. Okay. Uh, first off, I didn't. I enjoyed it, but I had some issues because I felt like sometimes um, Pose gets heavy-handed with this need to deliver a message um, mm-hmm. and w- wanting to be a PSA. I mean, I do love that they do want to educate folks on different things, but it was turning into a Tyler Perry episode. <laughs> um, what, what, what were one of my concerns? First mm-hmm. off, the whole things about um, the like the whole thing with, you know you were talking about the Potter's Field where they're you know, their loved ones were buried and telling the story about that. Mm-hmm. Um, even though actor, actress Billy Porter and the act, actress who plays Blanca and even the black woman who was a receptionist, they all did their jobs. They came what they were supposed to do and they did that. They mm-hmm. worked with a script that was basically laying everything out for you in neat uh, uh, back-to-school special format. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Telling you how, oh, and in this section, people would leave rocks with their loved ones' names on it so that they can be remembered. Oh, the age, people who died of HIV and AIDS are buried separate from everybody else. Yeah, but they're dead. But girl, we don't know what they died. We don't, still don't know how it spread, blah, 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 blah. Um, you went from that to Blanca getting her, uh, her checkup and them laying out all these facts about AZT um, to you, which a lot of people don't know about AZT, which is one of the earliest... Uh, HIV AIDS medications. Yeah, the one that um, basically took you out. Not took you out like kids, but like it was very a very strong medication. It was, it was. And um the thing about that was in the in the nurse was played by Sandra Bernhardt, who I feel like forgot how to act because she was dry as hell. Sandra <laughs> um, <laughs> And because and she was like, Well, you know, we take care of family. Like Oh my God. Um, and then, but they did like, they shared knowledge. Like, I did, like, I, I wouldn't have known about AZT except for I talked to, like, I learned about it from somebody else on Facebook a long time ago who was actually, you know, was on AZT at the time. And he was like, yeah, that was actually killing us back then. You know, I'm lucky to be alive now. Um, wow. But he was talking, but they were talking about how wealthy Damn. people who are on, who are like, would get, you know, basically who are on the medication would make sure if they passed on that their medication would be passed on to others who couldn't afford it, which I thought was awesome. Like they're giving oh, you this, shit. They're giving you this history, which I think is great, but the way they're delivering it is very um, kind of force feeding you to give you a lot of information and not nuanced. So I'm, I'm kind of struggling there, you know, because I feel like it's a lot of forced information. It's not done well. 
but I feel like it's important. Um, I almost feel like some of these episodes of Pose need like a documentary episode, a five or 10 minute documentary episode to follow them just to give you a little background on what they're talking about. I think that would be awesome for people. And I think people would watch that. Um, Another thing about this episode was I felt like they were putting a lot of toys back in the box after last season's season finale because last season's, the season finale last season felt like a series finale, Mm. the way it ended. And it was like they needed to put the toy, like they needed to put things back the way they were. Um, that like the whole thing with Electra Abundance and her throwing a fit. Like I, you know, I feel like she didn't throw enough of a fit a bit, but a lot of that felt like, mm, yeah, she's got to go back to being the villain, uh, some kind of way. Uh, the stuff, yeah. with An- the stuff with Angel, I really, I didn't like it because. I felt like the guy, like I could see, even though he wasn't on screen, I felt like he could twirl his mustache. <laughs> like like you could see it happening, even though he wasn't on screen. It was like, yeah, yeah. And like the whole way that was handled, like I liked the way it was handled, but at the same time, some of it just, I don't know, it wasn't together. But I still love the show uh, overall. I still think it's a really good show. Um, like all the actors as usual, I, you know, it's uh, it's awesome to see these trans actors come through and deliver this shit. It's not like oh, we're doing a show and it just happens to feature trans people. No, these people are uh, these good trans, homosexual, bisexual, what have you actors are showing up and doing what they have to do, and they're giving you a great show. It, you know, um, and it has a lot going for it. So I'm I'm curious to see how it goes this season. Still, I'm still going to be tuned in, but I do have some kind of issues with the delivery of it, and I I don't want to ramble too much. Do you have anything? I feel like you had something else to comment on what I had to say, Mocha. Mm-hmm. Um, I I kind of agree with you when it came to last season. It did feel like a series finale because I was wondering what was going to happen with her. And I don't know why her name is escaping me. I'm like, why am I having a total brain fart on her name? Electra? Yes. I was like, she's not going to stay in this house. She is not staying in this walk-up. I don't know what y'all thinking. When she got so defensive, like, where are you getting this money from? This bitch is stealing and or still hooking. And when she went to house ferocity, I went, oh, Jesus, Lord. Let me tell you something. Why are these boogers looking booger down? Can't even get y'all, can't even get y'all, y'all walk right. Y'all ballroom is just trash. I can't. I'm like, mm, no, but, you know, her acting has always been a little heavy-handed, but mm-hmm. she's stunning. So I'm waiting for it to evolve. Look, when I tell you when she did her, when she had the outfit for the ball, I'm like, this is what the uh, the Met ball should have been. Absolutely, this is camp. I don't know what the <laughs> hell is this, but this is camp. Uh, 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 I'm like, whoever was working on this show and did this, they should have consulted them. Like, if you don't know what camp is, this is it. Here is a primer because. That was wow. Hello. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, you know what? When I saw what the um theme was for the Met Met Gala, and it was camp, and I was like, I can't wait. What's gonna happen? And then I just saw y'all wearing like um expensive clothes and said, This is camp, bitch, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> it's like it's like they heard Rihanna wasn't going to show up, so everybody oh, got lazy. Coming. Beyonce not coming. Oh y'all, like oh I ain't gotta get dressed. I don't have to get dressed. Oh yeah, the Met, the Met Bala and their and their lack of camp and their camp. Like um, this yeah. is camp. This is why y'all can't just do imitations of queer folks. Y'all can't just do imitations of ballroom. They do this, okay? 
Just watch. And I, uh, and I, I'm go. (laughs) It's a lot. This is like I. Just better yet, don't let all the straight people stay home. Just invite all the queer folks to the Met Gala. Don't invite any folks. Just let them do it. Cause I live. I I just want to watch the runway anyway. So just put them on the runway. Let all the straight people inside to the party. And Stay that whack asses at home. Right. And like we do, I know y'all not gonna eat that stale ass kale salad anyway. So y'all can just <laughs> y'all asses at home. <laughs> dry, probably dry ass chicken with dry ass chicken right. with unsweetened iced tea. That. Better yet, getting like the uh White House treatment, probably getting chicken nuggets chicken and nuggets. hamburgers. Oh Lord Jesus. I walk out. Um, did anybody else watch um any of the episodes of Jessica Jones? No, I haven't um, watched it yet. I haven't I, studied yet. I need to watch that. I, I saw the pop up and I went, this feels so weird. I'm like, I, I don't need to rush because this is literally the last season. So, Yeah, it's it's much better than I didn't enjoy last seasons. I felt like um, Hellcat was the real villain of the story. <laughs> um, like the real villain of the story was white woman entitlement. Um, <laughs> I hate it always. And the, you know, this season it's now I like it because it's actually incels are the villains. Um, it well they were for a little bit. Wait, now, really? now it, yeah. Um, but, oh, I gotta and, see this. But now it, it was, but now they kind of did another twist where it's back to white women entitlement, and um, so I'm just kind of like, Ugh. but it, it was kind of like the first two, two, first two. It looked it like it took a few episodes before it got good. And I will say the villain doesn't have as much depth as I would like him to. He's more like a caricature or a representation of incels. Oh. Or, you know, or white male privilege. They, but they only really exist like as, like, I, I went to an engineering school. The caricatures are always accurate. Yeah. Um, so I, the only Hello? thing I... Hello? Yeah, I'm oh, I'm here now. Yusef, hey. Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm so sorry for interrupting. Oh, no, it's all good. Oh, no it's problem. All good. Go ahead. Go ahead. You, we were glad, ha- happy for you to interrupt, so we knew you were here. Um, but um, overall, I'm I'm almost finished with this season. And like I said, it went from being really t- well plotted and strong after a few kind of like stumbling out the gate in the eight and the later episodes actually made up for that. And now I'm back to like, huh? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if I like whether it or not. Can you wrap this up really well? You got three episodes, folks, to get it together. Um, I will say Malcolm, the char- Malcolm, he has a terrific character arc. Um, Jer- Jerry Hogarth, the um, lawyer, the lesbian lawyer, she has a pretty good story arc, too, and they intertwine. It's giving you a little bit of scandal um, in there, but done really well. It's like they took the best parts of scandal and kind of applied them. Uh, I mean, because um, pretty much how Malcolm becomes Huck in a sense, but a better version of Huck. Um, okay. Wow. And I, I, I really wanted them to have a spinoff, them to have a spinoff show, because I'm like, that other shit was boring me. Um, but uh, it, it, it's, it's worth a watch. And if you didn't care for season two, um, this season is better. It's a little rough. And it gets really good. And then, then it gets to a point where it's like, mm, I, I guess I'm going to ride this out. Okay. Did she kill them incels? Mm. You know them incels have a way of doing things. 
Um, I mean, if she kills some of them, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm already here, but if she kills some of them, I'm definitely here. Okay. We shall have to watch and see. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Enough ahead. for me. Sorry. Let's go ahead on to the news. All right. So this is a very big story. I put the links, of course, into the rundown. That's if you guys, I'll put it back for everybody who came in. Later, make sure y'all have a copy. Uh, on June the 1st, 2008, there was a fire at Universal Studios in Los Angeles, in Universal City, Los Angeles, California. Universal Studios, of course, is, you know, doubles as a movie production place, a media production place, and a tourist ride because you get to go and see, like, the actual, you know, like, sets and things like that. Apparently, according to all the reports that we've had over the last couple of years, there were some um, people doing maintenance work on some tiles in another building using the blow torches. Tiles got too hot in the summer weather, even though it was nighttime. Started a fire. The fire um, basically burned up the entirety of the King Kong uh, exhibit ride. Then it started its way to taking over parts of the Universal backlot. The, uh, the clock tower where uh, Marty McFly and um, Doc Brown did the little experiment in Back to the Future Part 1, that burned down part of that uh, that set, that, uh, what do you call that, downtown set burned down. And then it went to, and it is consumed what they call the video vault on the Universal lot. Ooh. And at the time when they reported it, they had only said that you know, it was a bunch of like duplicate videotapes and um, of TV shows and live shows that we've done. Everything that was inside of there, we have a backup someplace. Not that, so much. Yeah, that was the lie <laughs> that they told the public back then. Uh, but in actuality, uh, building 6197 on the Universal backlot. Also, I mean, maybe that's just the stuff that Universal Studios knew, but they also were renting out space in that building to Universal Music, its former corporate um, sibling, which it no longer had shared ownership with. Universal Pictures Studios is owned by NBC, Universal, and Comcast now. And Universal Music is owned by the Vivendi Corporation over in France. Uh, And um, inside of this vault, they had... Uh, the math, like the original recording masters for a large number of labels that whose cat catalogs are now owned by Universal by Universal Music, dating all the way back to Decca Records of the 1940s and 50s, including by some of my dad's masters. Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious! Tell people who your dad is, Yusuf. Also, by the so, way. So, uh, first of all, I'm Yusuf Lamont. Hello. <laughs> uh, that is crazy. Uh, my dad saying. Oh, there's a weird delay happening here, so uh, let me get this right. Yeah, um, you sound good on our end, if that's okay. Oh, no, that's yeah. Um, wow. Let's see if I can get this right. Might be from my headphones. Hold on, I'm gonna do this a little differently. Uh, my father's saying, with the oh god, it's so weird this delay. Let me say, let me let me adjust this. Okay. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, my father sang with the group, um, Billy Ward and the Dominoes, and two members of that group were members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Spike the Big Five and Batter, and Jackie Wilson. 
And after uh, Clyde McFadden left the group, the group went to Decca Records when Jackie was there. And uh, from what I've heard, those masters are gone. So I was talking to my mother about this, and we found this out um, this, past, uh, this, this past week. So it literally hit that close to home. Um, but as you were saying, um, what's really startling is that, uh, what the depth and breadth of what that loss is. It's not just stuff from Universal. There are labels that no longer exist that uh, Universal not only owned, but because some of the ownership, as you mentioned, had passed into other, uh, other companies and them not wanting to move the masters, the other companies were still paying Universal rent to actually store those masks that they figured like, well, okay, safe places, any, let's just keep it there. And this loss um, is catastrophic. I know some people have used some rather heavy language going, well, it's like the loss of the library in Alexandria uh, back in the day. But we, the, the key thing about this article in the Times, and I know you've got the links up in the rundown, as you start to go through it, it's gut punch after gut punch after gut punch of music history and a lot of black music history as well. So yes. quite, uh, quite extensive. Right. So the original estimate, because they internally they knew what had happened. They didn't report it to the public until the New York Times did this investigative report this past week and found all this information out because they got the documents. So originally they thought it might have been about 118,000 records, both singles and albums. Then it went up to 175,000. And now they think it's closer to 500,000. Like total songs yeah. that have that have been destroyed from this. So basically, what was gone, as far as I understand it, yeah. these masters were like the original like mixed down masters and original multi track masters for a lot of very popular music. Like they pro they definitely will have some of this has already been released. You know, album vinyl masters and CD masters and digital masters that are elsewhere that still exist, but. If they want to do a like a remaster for some of this material, they can't do That's it. That's not anymore. happening. Like, because there's a, a Jason article, the Quest Love from the Roots says that uh all the roots as masters that that Universal had on hand are gone because he says that they told them artists in the B through F files and the O through S files took the biggest hits. And so uh, um, do you want more if um Ill, uh from um Illidef Half-Life, um, I think, um, let's see. I think, I don't know if they said Things Fall Apart. I heard everything. Things Fall Apart, um, for now, I heard everything is gone up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Except for the first album. That's what I, that's what I was told. Tom Petty's uh, Masters, gone. Yeah. And so, Buddy like, Holly's Masters, Yeah, all of Buddy gone. Holly's Masters are gone. Uh, Aretha Franklin's early recordings are gone. Chuck uh, Berry's... Chess yeah. catalog master. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of chess record stuff is gone. Like Chuck yeah. Berry, Muddy Waters, uh, Etta James, a lot of that stuff is gone. Like, Bo Diddley, uh, yeah, gone. Jan Jackson. Yeah, some early Jan Jackson stuff will be will gone. I'm, I'm assuming that's the AM record, AM record stuff, yeah. or the things she did before she got with Jam and Lewis. Some Interscope stuff is gone. The yeah. Jeffrey stuff is gone. Yeah, like new stuff, like Eminem records and 50 Cent records are gone, basically. So, that was a loss, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the elephants, general stuff, the, the DECA, the Louis Armstrong DECA stuff and stuff, it's gone. And the, the killer about Holy this... Holy shit. The, the killer about this is that 
when we talk about masters, people think, well, what's what's a master? Because we there's a kind of a lack of understanding these days about what the recording process was, because so much of this has gone from you know recording in full-blown studios with all the stuff written down to the idea of people recording stuff in their homes. Right. So when we talk about masters, this is as close to being in the room as possible. This is the person who was in the next room recording it. This is like, it's, it's effectively a break with history. So you lose things. Like people don't realize when you record a recording master and you're talking to somebody who spent who's, uh, 30 years working in radio and I learned you know, uh, recording technology there. Uh, before you even start recording, you take like two or three minutes and you record the room's tone. Yep. Just to get the air of the room. So if you have to edit stuff, you can use that air to sort of put the gaps in so you don't get this weird sort of like uh, like this abrupt sort of thing. So you literally are losing the air of the, of the room. You lose the sound of the breaths. And and, and if you're a, a real nut for box sets, you hear those that patter and the stuff where you hear the, the artists talking with the producers and the, and, the, and the folks just talking in the background. It's That stuff is, is effectively gone. What we do have of the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth, those tenth generation ones that you ripped from Kazaa and LimeWire 10 years ago, you got that. Right. But the original stuff, the stuff that is as close to the moment that it happened and the way it was originally intended, those masters are no more. Right. And that's devastating because like the technology we use to listen to music changes about every, at least every 10 years, sometimes sooner than that. So... Back in the days when CDs and tapes, for example, became popular in the um, in the eighties, like like um, your cassette tapes, not your eight tracks, and you didn't like CDs towards late eighties, early nineties, you had a lot of material that was you know catalog material that labels just sort of kind of slapped on the CD or slapped on the tape, and they sounded terrible because yeah. they had been mastered for vinyl. And mm-hmm. so it became a thing in the 90s where the labels started paying the money to go back and remaster the material for digital use for CD and then also for tape as well. And it became, you know, Universal in particular had a whole department um, that was dedicated to doing these remasters. But they were actually, the problem is they were very selective about it because they only did most yeah. of their popular stuff, which... What was going to make the most money. Right, which for the most part was Motown stuff. All the Motown records were apparently like somewhere in a different location. But I read a story where that location flooded one day and they had to take everything outside and dry it by hand because they almost lost the entire Motown catalog that day from not from fire, but from water. Yeah, damn. Yeah. And so, like, everything that they lost, they've been on, like, a secret mission over the last 10 years to try to see if they can find, like, the highest pop-quality duplicate of what they have, and they've only been able to replace up to a fifth of the material, basically. A lot of it it's is... It's so funny. Yeah. This is almost like when, you know, if you've uh, if you've ever, let's say you're in a relationship with a significant other, and you've misplaced something important to that significant other, and you don't want to tell them. You're like, oh my God, the longer I can go with this, can I find a way to replace it? Can I find a way to replace it? And then one day, they ask, hey, that thing, I want to, you know, I want to watch that tape. I want to watch, you know, let, let's say our, uh, I forget which which TV show it was. They did an episode where somebody inadvertently uh, taped over the wedding video. Uh, mm-hmm. So they, they first had to own up. Yeah, I, I, I did that. 
and it's just it's just hell. I mean, that's a, 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 a peculiar analogy for it. But just at that, that loss, they were literally just delaying because nobody wanted to own up to just the what, what the debt of this of this loss was. And now, because people finally started asking wow. questions, that's where they had to come clean with it. And that's this investigative report, but it just started to pop through I, I guess through legal challenges. I guess there were lawsuits or something filed. People asking where what was, and they had to say, "We ain't got it." It's, right. It's incinerated. It's ash. It's gone. Yeah, and like I'm sure that because like they got they because UMG did sue Universal back in 2009, I think it was, and they had some sort of settlement between themselves. But now that the artists have found out about it, a lot of them are going to sue because they're going to sue for some of these artists especially like the newer ones, have the opportunity to where one day they could have bought their masters back. Because mm-hmm. you hear about people like Master P and Rihanna buying their masters back after a certain point in their career when they have the money to do so. So they're probably go- they're going to be suing for like loss, like um, potential mm-hmm. things. Some of these artists probably owned, had some sort of ownership in their masters and just were, yeah. had them taken care of by Universal thinking that, oh, they'll take care of it. It's, it's, but like, you know, this still own, belongs to me. They'll be suing for damages of things they actually already owned. And then there will be other artists who will sue or their estates who will sue because you are interfering with their, like, just, just like their royalties and things because you can no longer do high-quality re-releases of this material because you don't have the, um, the assets anymore. If, like, say you have an album that was only released on vinyl, and you want to put it out on Spotify, can't really do that unless you put out the vinyl version, try to remaster it a little bit digitally and pray and hope for the best. Because I have like a... You have contracts, is what you're saying? Yeah. Because I have like an old Parliament's um, compilation that was mastered from some vinyl albums. I listen, the songs are so good and weird and and like interesting that it made it for the fact that that the mastering quality sounds like it was run through a sock. Yeah, Morgan Booty Affair. That album is horrifically messed. Don't talk. Not not oh. not not not, not Parliament. Parliaments, plural. Oh, sixties. Oh. <laughs> oh, so the old stuff when they were recording in Detroit. Yes. <laughs> With uh, who's it? Ed Wingate, Riptic, and Tri-Fi. Yes. Yep. Yeah, the Riptic yep. masters. What these are? not masters? The um, the vinyl pressed on the CD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that stuff like. And it's going to be, so the lawsuits are supposed to be filed this coming week. And so it'll be interesting to see what the trajectory of those lawsuits are like. And that's part of why a lot of these songs, like a lot of these artists, they haven't done remasters and re-releases of their material. Like if I want, if I have a movie and I wanted to put People Get Ready into my movie, People Get Ready by The Impressions, which is a oh, song no. everybody Don't knows. Don't mention that one because that one hurt me. Yeah, like that's one of the songs they lost. If I wanted to put it into a movie, I might not be able to use it because they might say that the master, they, the, the duplicate master they send as a second or third or fourth generation copy may not be of a high enough fidelity to put into the movie. Yeah. I wonder how many people, are, well, there's some people who can't re-record their masters, so. A lo- uh, the vast majority of these folks can't. And I mean, yeah. you don't really want to, to be honest. You'll lose whatever magic and everything you had when you did it the first time around. Like, a lot of these artists have re-recorded their, their stuff, you know, because, it's, for example, like Motown exactly. was never giving anybody their masters, and some of these artists went and recorded their own versions to get more money. TLC did clearly the same thing. Clearly lesser versions. Yeah, clearly like, lesser but- versions. 
Like when TLC did their movie, they re-recorded all of their music and they owned those versions. But you can tell the difference between the versions they used in the movie and the actual hits we grew up with. It's nightmare. Pebbles. Pebbles, pebbles, pebbles. pebbles. I mean, Deborah Deborah Killings. I'm sorry, I just... <laughs> did, did you, okay, did you hear what I said, Brandon? Yeah, Deborah Kellex. Uh, yeah, no, it's fine. Oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, so yeah. The Sylvia Robinson of first generation. Yes. <laughs> Pebbles. <laughs> uh, I still remember when, after that movie came out, she was pissed for like, I think, a year. I think she's still pissed. And she's still suing this. <laughs> Salty. Sister Perry is hot. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Jesus. But, Sister Perry is 38 hot. But yeah, like... I'm 38 hot. <laughs> I wanted to see if I can find, like, besides the artists we've mentioned, like, the full list. Like, and while I'm looking for that, I um, just wanted y'all to sort of kind of, if y'all had any questions about this stuff, like, or anything like that. It's interesting that this is coming up now and the fire was in 2008 because I, before... The lawsuit was mentioned. I didn't even know about this fire. Right. I, I knew about the fire, but it was the way they had framed it. Like, they had lost sets and things like that. And what they told us were duplicate tapes. Like, they, the most damage that they told us at the time was that there are shows that were filming on the Backlot Universal that had to stop for a week so they could rebuild the Backlot sets. And they would just go on from there. Because if, if you, you see- get a chance... Yeah, sh- sh- uh, take a look at the picture of the fire. Yeah. It's horrific. Yeah, the, like, the vi- there's some videos on YouTube, too. It's a oh gigantic fire. Like, I know a lot of our friends were talking about, well, it must have been um, arson or some sort of conspiracy no. by the music label to get rid of their masters. No, this was an accident because this fire was like, it was like a forest fire. It was big. Yeah, <laughs> and the thing it- is, uh, studio backlots are measured in acreage. Yeah. And they lost streets full of things. Yeah. Then the whole oh, town wow. square, they lost. Yeah, like like the fire Jeez. ended at the video vault. That's where they put it out. Like it started at like near the King Kong ride. Like, and it took that all the way out and then made its way across the back lot. Like it was like, and then, you know, a secondary issue here really is it gets to about how we not we, but how um how this media is preserved because you know a lot of it is just it's 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 because it, it doesn't generate a lot of income for these, these multinational corporations, some of the stuff that doesn't generate that income isn't necessarily stored, let's say, in the most advantageous way possible. It's basically right. on a shelf or a wire rack in a room somewhere with maybe a sprinkler system. So there's a, this is not the first time there have been losses like this. And, you know, it, there's, I mean, if you go back to, there's a reason why you can't watch an episode of The Tonight Show from 1962 to 1972 with Johnny Carson. They threw and, them into uh, the Hudson River. Less than 1% of those remain because the attitude of NBC Burbank was like, ah, it's disposable. They literally taped over episodes they recorded for the new stuff to save money. So tonight's show for 62 to 72, there's a reason why you go on YouTube and there's like four episodes of that because that's all there is. There's a very cavalier attitude in the way that this media is handled. And especially looking at the legacies of artists like Louis Armstrong, uh, 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 Ella Fitzgerald. And this is like their prime content at the, at the peak of their powers, yep. right? So like my father grew Billy Boy and the Dominoes. Uh, and, then you, and then you get to like, I get Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley, these people who are like actual literal founders of rock and roll. And the fact that the masters for this stuff is now no 
freaking point. <laughs> Buddy Holly, the Masters, it's, it's gone. And there wasn't much to begin with because he died so young. Yep. The Masters are done. And, you know, I was, it was, a, it was talking with, and so I think with Paul McCartney talking about this. And he was like apoplectic about the, particularly the Barry and the, 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 uh, the Holly Masters. He was like, that's where I came from. He says, and he was like, it's really gone. And he was, he was totally freaked out by it. So it's, there's something about the way they're handling this stuff. I, I, I work for a company where we basically teach, you know, uh, let's say it's a major uh, electronics slash computer corporation that might have a fruit as its name. It might, might not, might. And one of the things that I teach is about your proper maintenance of your data. And this is a phrase we have in digital, just data like that, is there's two kinds of people in the world, people who lost data, people who weren't going to. It's gonna happen. Right. It's always gonna happen. So you have to prepare for that. But unfortunately, this, this really hits it home for a lot of people. People weren't ready for it, the loss happened. And I think I put up a Facebook post that said, raise your hand if, after hearing about this fire, all of a sudden you're running around backing up all your stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's how it is. Yeah. I'm watching a video I found uh, was uh, Seth Lawson Universal Studio fire video. It looks like a city's on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it looks uh, just hellacious. Yeah, it was, it was really bad. There's always been in... In the recording industry and also adjacently in like the film and TV industries, like a neglect, on average, a neglect of preservation of archival material. Cause like you would think, like we talk about, like, you know, like you would think, for example, like Elvis Presley, somebody who was very popular and very famous, that they would have kept every single ass scrap of everything he recorded, which they try to nope. do now at Graceland. Uh, RCA <laughs> Records. Cut up his masters and used and sold the and had them boil down to raw materials to save money and make like new stuff with them. Like they once they had the vinyl copy, they thought they were good. Like and that's what they had still have. And so all of the stuff is one generation or more removed from what it could be. Even in movies, they used to keep. So for those who don't know, movies shot before 1950 or so were shot silver nitrate. Yeah, on silver nitrate film, which is which could combust on its own under regular like temperature conditions. And well, here's what's interesting: room temperature. Yes, the the film industry actually moved from New Jersey. The the, the, the beginning of the the, how, the the film industry as we know it was set in New Jersey. Right. With Thomas Thomas Edison doing that at the turn of the century. It moved from there to California primarily because of a massive fire in Thomas Edison's initial complex that burned everything he had. And, and a lot of early films that were produced were, were, were burned there. So at that point, they just said, well, we're just going to start the hell over. And they decided to go to go someplace else. Yeah. So there are, there's a close to maybe 30% of the films from the, the early years of filming up until about 1922. We only know that they were made because there's lists of what they were in like studio logs, but the movies are gone. Yeah, movies are gone. The like, movies, they, they, it's just like, I mean, granted that back then it was really expensive to copy something. They would they would bring something into a screen room, project it, and then film the projection off the wall. 
to get the copy, kind of like what they did in the 50s with... Um, Kinescopes with televisions. Yeah. Where they... The reason why some shows don't barely exist or look badly is because what they did was they filmed the stuff off a TV set, which is why you saw those weird hot, those weird burn uh, little things you can see in certain old TV shows. So there has been a consistent cavalier attitude to the way we... Toward the way this stuff is preserved, and it's it's easier than ever now to do so, but it's really just laziness. Yeah, that 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 that, that causes things like this to happen. Laziness and a thinking that it's not important to, and trying to save money because most of these studios are owned by giant conglomerates, and it's always about the bottom line. Uh, mm-hmm. MGM used to stuff all their stuff into like concrete uh, bunkers, bunkers yeah. and yeah. in 1965 they had a fire that wiped out. The vast majority of their original negatives were all like this is MGM. This, so these are like gigantic hit movies that no longer exist in the original versions, like uh, Singing in the Rain. Um, every Tom and Jerry cartoon you've ever seen is a duplicate print because they don't have mm-hmm. the movies, the original versions anymore. Uh, oh, wow. Citizen Kane, they don't have anymore. Yep. So it's it's so, directors cuts. Yeah. Oh fuck. So they don't have. There's a lot of shit. You're surprised they don't actually have. And so with music. It became a thing to where they were very negligent about storing the stuff. At first, they thought, let's do what they do with films. By the 80s, they were starting to put nitrate films into, like, cold storage, especially controlled, like, storage places because there's, like, you know, we want to make sure this shit don't burn up, burn us up, and combust. Uh, But they found that when they did this with recorded tape for music and everything, that the tape shrank and, like, the coating on the tape would chip off. And you yeah, the magnetic quality. stuff would flake right off it. Yeah, so they they have been scrambling for years trying to figure out what exactly to do, what kind of temperature to put it into, and everything like that. And I, you know, as we see from this, they still didn't have it right when like the biggest music corporation on the planet lost that much material from leasing it out to put it into a backlot in hot ass Burbank, California that wasn't necessarily properly temperature controlled. <laughs> Bro, the they doing I've everything ever been wrong. in my life is in Burbank, California. I was on the Warner Brothers lot one day. I, I drove up there and I put my camera in the trunk. The security guard said, Don't put your camera in the trunk. I said, Well, I'm just going to steal it. He goes, No, it's going to melt. Yep. <laughs> it was 123 degrees that day in Burbank. I should say it in Johnny Carson's voice. It was oh, 123 degrees in Burbank. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah. And that's the scariest part. And what really has to happen after this is that every other label, I mean, there's only a, there's only two major labels. Um, that still and the, the rest of the corporations that still own like archival material, they have to figure out how to not let shit like this happen. Like they ha- they need to back up as much as as they have possibly can in like the like, you know, some 96 kilohertz digital files, which is, you know, it's not the best, but it's better than trying to take something from a vinyl copy when they lose the masters after this. There has to be some money put into preserving these things because even though they don't want to spend the money to reissue it at this time, at, at some point, somebody's going to make, I don't know, like the um, the Joni Mitchell movie, for example, and they're, and they're going to be mad because they, Joni Mitchell's shit is gone. There has to be a care point, some point for the art. Right. Just, just for maintenance's sake. Exactly. And I, and, and I don't understand how, how we're not there. Because it's easier than ever to do so. Yeah. It's easier than ever. It's, I mean, I, I've, I've 
I'm kind of, a, well, as you know, I'm a audio nut. And what was interesting is that the night before this article broke, I was literally on the internet and I was listening to, it was on SoundCloud, somebody from the Motown vaults, they were putting up the, the individual tracks that were, I'm not talking about like whole instrumental tracks, so somebody put up the initial drum track that Benny Benjamin drummed on for uh, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Oh, I, uh, um, just I, I might have heard scene. that before. And then they put up the other track where they said, oh, here's where Uriel Jones doubled up on it when they went in and recorded it with Marvin and Tandy so you could hear the difference. And I said, and then after reading that article, I said, well, you know what? There's other people, like, historically, you'll never be able to find out this, the actual building block process of what it took to make that. It's like, it's, 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 what's that phrase we have? We said, you know, we're losing recipes. Yeah. Well, yeah, we this did. is a loss of recipes. Yeah, let me read the full list that they, it's not the full list, but this is like a, it's a fuller list, I guess, of what they lost. Um, Y'all might artists. want to sit down for this yeah. one. Yeah, um, Benny Goodman, Cab Calloway, the Andrews Sisters, the Ink Spots, the Mills Brothers, Lionel Hampton, Ray Charles, Sister Rosetta Tharp, we talked about last year. Oh, God. Clara Ward, Sammy Davis Jr., Les Paul, Fats Domino, Big Mama Thornton, Burl Ives, The Weavers, Kitty Wells, Ernest Tubb, Lefty Frizzell, Loretta Lynn, George Jones, Merle Haggard, Barbie Blue Bland, B.B. King, Ike Turner, The Four Tops. These are like their pre-Motown records, I would assume. Uh, mm -hmm. the Quint uh, and their post-Motown records. I, a lot of this is ABC records, I can tell from this list. Yeah, ABC uh, Dunhill, that, that yeah. stuff is gone. Yeah, Quincy Jones, Burke Barakrat, Joan Bates, uh, Neil Diamond, Sonny and Cher, The Mamas and the Papas. God damn. Yeah, Joni Mitchell. That's the ABC Dunhill stuff. Yeah. Done. Captain Beefheart, Cat Stevens, The Carpenters, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Al Green, The Flying oh. Burrito Brothers, Elton John. They just put a fucking movie out. Elton John, Leonard Skinner. Oh yeah. my God! Eric Clapton, <clears throat> Jimmy Buffett, The Eagles, Don Henley, Aerosmith, Steely Dan. Who their manager was asking about a certain album was like, "Did y'all lose this?" And they found it in New Jersey. I, I think I read or Philadelphia someplace. But they were lucky because they found that the dude said they didn't ask about the second album. They asked about the first. Hey, can I pause for a lost. second? Yeah. Can I pause for a second? The ultimate irony about the loss of Steely Dan stuff is it was so well engineered. Their engineer was a guy named Roger Nichols. Roger Nichols was the first in the record. His nickname in the record industry was God, because apparently he was this incredible engineer. They take Steely Dan recordings into studios to break them in to test how well the recording, how the what the studio's uh, capabilities are. Yeah, that's how well that stuff was mastered. But guess what? The originals are gone, and quite as kept that A and M catalog. That stuff is gone. You don't want to know from that. You don't want to know from that. Oh, and we're getting, I, I think get we're getting to some of that stuff. Jazz, because that's where it really hurts. Yeah. Iggy Pop, Rufus and Shaka Khan, Barry White, Patti LaBelle, Yoko Ono, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, The Police, Sting, George Strait, Steve Earle, R.E.M., Janet Jackson, because A&M, that's, so, that, so that's Control and Rhythm Nation, isn't it? Yes, it is. No. Yeah, Control and Rhythm Nation. Yeah, because she was on AM for oh, the yeah. first two. Then she went to Virgin for Janet, period. God! So, so, no, more, no more control! 
They lost, they lost control. Ah. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, Eric, B, Eric B. and Rakim, new edition, Bobby Brown. So I would, which ones would these be? If new edition and Bobby Brown, I assume this is a bunch of shit that is Bobby Brown. Yeah. Like, like, don't be cruel and, and shit like that. Kind of the first album nobody shit. knows. No, nah, because they're both on the same the same label. Mm. It's the exact same, yeah. So, uh, don't be cruel. Might be one of the ones that's gone. Uh, Guns and Roses, Queen Latifah, Mary J. Blige. So th- this is getting into Uptown oh. record stuff here. Yeah, because remember Universal Uptown was a holding man. That's yeah. when I was working at Universal. Yeah. Oh. Sonic Youth, No Doubt, Nine Inch Nails, Snoop Dogg, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Hole, Fuck, Cheryl Crow, Tupac, Eminem, oh. Fifty Cent. And the roots, because both uh, Questlove and Black Thought um, were interviewed this week talking about how devastating it was to lose their um, materials. Questlove had won three released the old albums with like acapella versions, instrumental versions, do new mixes for the stuff, and can't do any of that nope. anymore. Nope. Brutal. Just brutal. And I mean, there's no getting that back. It's Ash. Yep. You know, it's, I mean, the guys, was, those dudes were sitting on the roof. Like the, the 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 fire, the fire actually happened because the the guys working on the roof of the building, and you know you have to you have to sort of keep the the, the tiles on the roof to cause them to set, and then they actually li- literally watched them set for about four or five hours. Say, okay, they're cool. All right, everything is all right. But apparently, there was one hot spot, and it that fire happened. Based off of that, the guys did what they were supposed to do. It wasn't like totally negligent. Right. Hey, 99 times out of 100, well, guess what? This is time number 100. And because of that, this loss. Yep. Mm. Devastating. This is devastating. Yeah, really. Tragic. It hurt me in my heart because it was it was like getting like being in the, in the, in the wrestling ring and somebody like ran up and dropped. You ever seen a wrestling with somebody drop kicks you and then you, you get up and they drop kick you again and you it was getting drop kicked in the chest repeatedly because if you're a real music head and, uh, and everyone in this you know participating in this pretty much is if you're a real music head it, it just it floors you. I mean there are folks that say, I don't like country music. There was a bunch of names that you reeled off there. The loss of like Loretta Lynn and and George Jones stuff. That is like that's what country music was actually American music. That's the good stuff. The loss of those masters, along with, and we didn't even get to the stuff about the, the loss of Impulse Jazz, the loss of the Charles Mingus catalog on Impulse, the loss of of, of Coltrane's catalog on Impulse, the Duke Ellington Impulse catalog. That stuff is gone. A lot of that, the, the jazz from basically from like 1955 to 1965, that, that, that post box soul jazz era, mm-hmm. a lot of the good stuff came out of impulse. Poof. And a lot Going of that up. stuff is materials that have not been reissued as popularly. Like, um, and I, I would imagine, I don't know if they have, still have like the masters for even like the out for the commercially released versions that they put out. Mm-hmm. anymore. They have to look for that as far as some stuff they're probably prioritizing looking for. And that's the other problem. Like, you would think that they would catalog this stuff better 
like no. and have like you know full FileMaker FileMaker Pro files and everything and have it all just digitized. Stuff written on a box. Yeah, shit written on a box. When they they lost the master for um, a Bill Hader in the comments, Rock Around the Clock. Yeah, the, like the like the first big white God damn. rock and roll hit. Um, when wow. they reissued uh, Watt Stacks, they Woo. searched every corner of the planet to try to find the negatives for Watt Stacks, the negatives and the music masters, which were, and they all of them were in separate places and all of them were mislabeled. Different languages, right? Yeah. <laughs> there was the one they found in Spain somewhere. Yeah, like it was ridiculous. Like it was a miracle that they could even reassemble the movie when just this past couple of years, when they went to put out uh, Little Shop of Horrors, uh, the director's cut that they never put out back in 86. Same thing. They had to search the entire earth to try to find, like, the negatives for it because they only had, like, a black and white work cop, work print copy. And the actual negatives were scattered far and wide. You would think they put it all together. No. Oh. I, it's just, it's a mess. It's, yeah. I mean, you probably feel a chill coming over you, like, talking about this but again the, the the weird thing is about the way we consume music nowadays digitally it's streamed with these third fourth fifth six generations you know you don't want to seem like that the, the, the music equivalent of comic book dude from the simpsons where it's like you know uh, i'm sorry that's the that's the two forty two minute and 47 second mix that's not the two minute and 59 listen second I, you listen want to be that dude. i am no that dude and that i'm dude, proud of it what, what the, the problem here <laughs> is that the, the loss of these originals it really it, 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 it significantly shifts the landscape. And we don't listen to music that way anymore. Nobody listens to audio file grade stuff, all right? I get it. You know, we, we're on the go. We live different kinds of lives. We're not sitting here like in our, in, in, in you know, in Uncle Nut Nut's panel, like basement and everything with the headphones on, listening to, uh, listening to jazz and stuff like that, you know, with, 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 with perfect headphones. We don't, we don't do that anymore. But you have to have those core materials still there to be able to work from to do pretty much anything worth the damn. And now th- those core materials are gone. I'm, I know that there's some artists who, this, this is the reason why Prince fought so hard for his master. This is why he yeah. was a slave on the side of his face. All right? That's why he did that. Because he knew what those things meant. Because he was a music fool. He was a nut for that. And people try to make him out to be some sort of like lunatic for it. Well, now you realize what happens when that stuff is gone. It effectively ends what you can do with a lot of it. Yeah. Um, My God. Yeah. I, I don't know how to even move on from this, but I do want to see what happens with those lawsuits. And hopefully we can see what it, we can see some improvements in the, Storing process. Let's move on though to a happier story. Uh, oh, can I can I say one last little thing? Yes, uh, folks, um, back up your shit. Yeah, <laughs> please. Yeah. Uh, corporations, Just people, quick, like, everybody. Please speak as a tech professional, back up your shit. I live this back, every back. day. People come to see people like me. They go, "I, what are you gonna do? You have to, you have to wipe it. You can't do that." Back up your shit. And and also just musically try to get as if, if you're really into the music, get as high a grade uh, a, a copy of whatever you can when you can. I know we want to do things nice, quick, and dirty, but um because you never know. Because guess what? The one you get from the original master is gonna be remembered. In this case, 
that's now as good as it, it is ever going to get. So back up your shit. I don't care how you do it. Just just back up your damn data. Indeed. And happier news question mark. The Boondocks is being rebooted for the modern era by Gary Magruder. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said question mark. Uh, because um, so they're they're going to basically revamp it so that I think they're gonna have it where Uncle Ruckus is running the local government in their town and they're gonna be having to go up against him. But you know, my thing is this the Boondocks comic strip was a masterwork of political satire. Mm-hmm. The Boondocks animated TV show was touch and go. <laughs> mm-hmm. At absolute best. Mm-hmm. Speak on it. There were some episodes that were fucking brilliant on the Boondocks show. The Tyler Perry one, the um, I Want to Do Bad Stuff with My Friends episode, the one where Steve Meaner's three friends from sitcoms came and fought um, Huey and Riley and them. Brilliant. The, Xbox, the, the Xbox killer episode. Yeah. Fantastic. So, but a lot of the episodes were just, you could tell they tried to write something good for them, but the execution was just off. They didn't seem to know quite how to get the feel for like animation and translating their ideas to an animated format. Shit that was funny in the room, funny on paper, not so funny when it was animated since Korea came back. And it didn't really have like the same cultural like flavor that it really wanted it to have. Yeah, like, like yeah. <laughs> I was because like my thing with it is that I remember watching that show, uh, and it came out when I was uh, I'm I'll just say younger, um, because <laughs> it. What year did the show come out? Two thousand five. Oh five. Okay, I was fourteen. I shouldn't have been watching that show. I thought it was hilarious then. <laughs> I watched it in college, and I was like, "Oh, some of these, hmm, some of these jokes ain't hitting the same way." Like eh, when I was fourteen, Riley called everybody like, "You nigga, you gay." That was hilarious. At like twenty, I was like, eh, "They don't hit the right way." At twenty-eight, it doesn't still hit the right way. And in fact, I look at some of that shit, and I'm like, "What does Aaron Magruder think of black people that he would have Martin Luther King basically telling black people we ain't shit?" I think that he thinks that black well, black people ain't shit. If you look at his actions outside of the cartoon over the last couple of years, like Ooh, yeah. he sort of kind of became like a super anti-Obama dude because yeah. you know, Obama wasn't black enough, basically he was on that, and because he wasn't from the United States. Like he's sort of kind of he's a little, I, an awesome person, but he is a very difficult personality. Okay. Have you met him before? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> oh. Well. Have you worked yeah. in cartooning and animation circles? Yeah. Yes. He's a he's a good dude, but he is just a very particular personality to work with. Okay. Mm. And, and, yeah. and, and the way they were doing stuff in Adult Swim, that workflow was not conducive to him. Oh, yeah. I, I can imagine. Like, and, and that's the reason why what you said there, why stuff seemed choppy. Yeah. It's, it's choppy. And I also feel like, like budget-wise, because The Boondocks was a show where you can tell that it was expensive to produce, and I feel like a lot of the episodes were like, the budget was like, like we don't have enough money to do these three episodes. One of them has to look like shit, or two of them have to look like shit. Like, and so I noticed that they, sh- they started showing character redesigns for Huey, I think is the one I saw, and you he'd been simplified a little bit. 
I'm like, oh yeah. A lot of this was deadline oriented, also too. Yeah, they had some de- de- deadline issues, and they tried to streamline the look of the show so they could more easily meet the deadlines. And that's probably pretty much all I can say uh, based on NDAs that I've signed with the Columbia folks at Viacom. Got you. Um, yeah, no, like the thing, the other thing too with it is that like I think at the time. The Boondocks, I think two shows that benefited greatly from not existing during social media, not because the critiques that would arose would have been invalid, but rather, I don't really want to know, or I don't have the best view on how the creator would respond to these critiques, or like the Boondocks and Chappelle show. Because like, it's not that like, like yeah, those, those them shits was hilarious. And a lot of those stuff, I'm like, yeah, it's fucked up, but like, I thought it was funny. But like, I don't want to know how like Aaron Magruder responds to Twitter where people in real time can tell him, nigga, this is the ashiest thing I have seen. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to know how Aaron Magruder responds when people tell him, because the other thing too, people are going to bring up the old episode and be like, hey, the Thug and Love episode, the whole whole punchline is that these niggas is gay. (laughs) Talib Quelly would be like, yo, Aaron, you need to chill. <laughs> I actually didn't even think about that. That angle is very important because now you are absolutely right. People will people are gonna come on to social media and I'm pretty sure Aaron McGruder has social media himself. He's mm-hmm. probably not he's probably not going to be one of those people who, who will keep quiet about people critiquing his own material. And there will be a, there will be some kind of altercation online, and the true Aaron McGruder will come out. <laughs> you think? How do you think Aaron McGruder really gonna respond when people gonna be like, "So, like, you made an episode where uh, a pimp named Slickback basically talked about the importance of hitting women." Oh my god! What do you think about this? Hopefully, like, not the way that Boots Riley did. Oh, nigga, he, yeah. you, know, you know damn well he gonna be worse than Boots. <laughs> Boost was kind of bad because it's like it's one thing to disagree with people who are critiquing your work. It's another thing to jump in their mentions and have back and forths. Basically, that basically sound like you're trying to talk these women down, like you know, like because you strong, big, smart, strong black man versus um, dumb, weak female thing that you got going. I'm just, I'm just reading them threads like, woo, woo. <laughs> Like we watch, we watch Dave Chappelle come back to comedy, and then basically turn when people's like, "Hey, Dave, these transphobic jokes ain't really gonna hit the way you think." And then Dave Chappelle turned around and treated it as, "Here's the thing, uh, I will not let these white people tell me I do my comedy." It's like Dave, <laughs> Dave is the black people tell really you. Who is it's, it's us. White yeah. folks telling you Dave. Like, like, listen, <laughs> problematic jokes can be funny, but you there's got to be a line somewhere. Like. It, it, it's going to hit people differently whether or not they get offended by that kind of stuff. And it's always very difficult. But you have to be able to respond properly when people say that the shit's offensive. Like, the whole thing with the Shaft thing, the thing I'm glad nobody has done, really, um, I saw Jesse, Jesse T. Usher almost do it, but he stepped back from it. Nobody's come out and said, well, motherfucker, if you th- don't think the shit is funny, that's your fault. You know, like, <laughs> nobody's done that yet. And they should not. They should just let the shit sit. If they, people don't think it's funny, it's not funny, and they find it offensive, they found it offensive. Nothing you can do Brandon, about that. Your movie has only been on for four days. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait if people see it on Bio Stick in three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to learn to read the room. Got to learn to read the room. So, folks are just instantaneously savage. Yeah. 
<laughs> but it's kind of funny because Dave made his grand opening and it was a grand closing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest offense though was the jokes weren't really even that funny. They weren't. It's like if you're gonna be problematic, at least be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> This just sounds like some shit you said while you drinking like some whiskey in some hotel lobby. Waiting for your you take. Put that on a t-shirt? Waiting for your if next you're take. Be problematic, at least be hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that should be a t-shirt. But yeah, wait. He's in the hotel room waiting for his next take on a Star is Born and shit like that. You know. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it was It was just like mm, I'm, I guess he had to sign with this contract for uh, Netflix owns your jokes. Yeah. For like sixty years <laughs> after you save him. I love us for <laughs> real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he hear my gear then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe he did. <laughs> maybe so, he yeah, did so, so I mean, that, that's pretty much what half the comedians on Netflix have been doing. Like, anytime I watch a Netflix comedy special, it was somebody big. Like, usually their stuff is not as good as their regular stuff, but now I know why. Right. Because they, can't, it's like, oh, I can't perform this anymore? Fuck that. Like, you know, which, I mean... I don't know why you would want to keep performing stuff that's been on like that huge of a stage, but I get the point. You're not going so to give me the juice to get the drink. Right. Right. You get the sizzle and not the steak. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you don't get the sizzle. You get the um, drippings and not the steak or the <laughs> sizzle. Yeah. Uh, speaking of animated reboots of uh, 90s and 2000s material, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross has been cast as the lead of Jody. A spinoff of Daria, which follows Daria's black friend from her 1990s uh, animated sitcom from MTV as Jody enters the workforce in the tech community as one of the few black women working at a tech company. Um, I didn't so here for this. I didn't realize that, um, I think maybe it was Daria's parents that they were doing SEO back then. It just didn't have a name. <laughs> wow! Like I didn't, re- I didn't realize that until somebody else pointed it out to me. It's like, yeah, they're talking about this, that, and the third. And it's like, oh yeah, that's SEO. That's yep. what they were doing. Like it was, I mean, they were doing it before these stuff. With, like their parents back then were doing tech, so that should be interesting. And I think it was weird the way Joey and her boyfriend always like. It was like they were like, I mean, I guess the black characters at that time, which the black characters were always kind of portrayed as the people who were like the voice of the audience. Mm-hmm. In a way, like look at these crazy see, white folks. That shit. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were a little more articulate, but yeah. Let me ask. I have a question about really, that. Really so, quick before you do that, though, like Stephanie has to go. But yeah, so but thank you, Stephanie, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Of course. I'm sorry, guys. I have to tip on out. You know how much I enjoy talking the shady, shady television and movie stuff with you guys. <laughs> we enjoy having you. You have a good evening. Okay. And I'm going to have to tip out, too. All right, Yusef. Thank you so yeah, much. Okay. Thanks, Thank guys. you all. Really fun stuff. <laughs> all right, y'all have a good evening. All right. Yeah, right. Sorry about that, Ali. Go ahead. All right. So why, why can't this be... So let me ask the question because I've watched Daria too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so why can't this be um, Tracy Ellis Ross stars as um, a girl in the '90s who's entering the the workforce as a black woman? I'm in tech industry as a black woman. Why does it need to be attached to to Daria? Uh, IP, common IP, built-in fan base, nostalgia factor, all that shit. It's because not set in the 90s, it's set now. 
Okay, cool. Again, Tracy Ellis Ross is a big enough star. Um, like I would have watched this anyway, even if you didn't call it Daria, even if, even if it wasn't a spin-off. I was gonna watch this. Like it doesn't it yes, doesn't so yes, but we're do... white folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would they? Would that's they? What they that's, were that's what I'm asking. They were watching Daria for Daria. The white people were just yeah. the black people in the show was the sprinkling on the cake for the rest of us. It was icing. No, I mean, but I think a lot of people love Daria. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, and, and what we're saying is they probably were, they were planning to spin off other shows besides this for off the Daria-verse, as they called it. Right. Um, They're probably so this a was fashion just, club show. Yeah, there's other shows probably planned. This was just the first one. And having a big star like Tracy Ellis Ross attached is a big draw. Plus, I mean, I think a lot of black people watched Daria. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. <laughs> like a lot of us, I even you know a lot of us, and I'm like, um, hmm, I'm sure there's going to be an LGBT show too. I'll just say that Jane. I didn't want to say that. No, but didn't didn't they say that she did she come out on the program? Did she kiss a girl? Doesn't that wasn't that a whole so. thing? I don't remember. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was if it wasn't on the show, they did a special afterwards. I swear to God that that is a part of the Daria <laughs> thing that where Jane. Found out that she liked women. I don't know if she if bisexual Anna? or gay, but she there was certainly a plot point of that on Daria. And you're saying okay. yes, hmm? yes. This isn't, this isn't like that 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 shit that Roberto wrote for Archie back before he actually worked for Archie, where Archie was coming out the closet, and Archie comments had to sue his ass. <laughs> Stop putting it off. Wait, they sued over that shit? Yeah, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa used to live here and work in Atlanta and work for like a theater company. He wrote mm-hmm. a play where Archie and Jughead had come out the closet to each other. Uh, the day before it's supposed to have gone on, uh, Archie Comics Incorporated uh, sent down a cease and desist and said, the fuck are you doing? Are you crazy? Yeah. You can't do that. You yeah. can't just write, you can't just write just fan fiction and, and make money off of it by putting it in a theater? And he, and he did. He had to change the names and shit. Uh, fast forward to 15 years later, the nigga runs Archie Comics. <laughs> okay, I understand that. I mean, okay, that's, that's right. But what, in what universe did he think he was going to get away with this? I don't know. I think that was his white side coming out and being bold. <laughs> but I mean... Uh, did you, but you work in, you work in, in industry... How did you no, think no, that you were going to get this? This was before he entered the industry, Ali. It was before he, before he became wait, a writer for TV and stuff. Yeah, what, but what he was aware of... That? What happened? What year was that? 03. Because I'm wondering, Dude. was that before or after he wrote the Fantastic Four? Had to be before. Or, at, or simultaneously. Look it up right quick. Let's look it up. Dude, the point is, he, he was an adult back then and he was a professional, right? Everybody knows that you can't just do that. You can't just... Just put on something and, and make money off of it, off of someone else's property. How did you think that you were going to get away with it? You thought it was going to be like in a, in a secret location somewhere and no one's going to talk about it online or nothing like that? No one's going to talk about it? I don't know. Before, kid. Really? Before. He wrote Fantastic Four in 04. Yeah, he did. So it was a year after. So Marvel was taking advantage of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can I, write I mean, our characters. <laughs> I, well, I'm just saying, like, that is, I'm just saying that that is. <laughs> That's very bold and just kind of like negligent of well, just ignorant of 
or you just don't care about how conventions and, and policies and rules, <laughs> legal stuff. So we, we, we bear, um, Ali, you are aware that we all know a person who made a trailer for a biopic for a certain music group and that didn't, you know, that, that, that led in interesting directions. Okay, move on. <laughs> Steven Universe, the movie, is coming to the Cartoon Network this fall, and it's a fucking musical. Hallelujah. You're goddamn right. <laughs> Pop it into my it, veins. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Okay, first of all, I, I thank you for saying that. Hook me up to Ivy. So the next, next thing is um, everybody on that show, Rebecca Sugar and her team made sure that they could all sing on purpose. <laughs> then it won't be when you would never get me to watch the shit. Be like, all of these motherfuckers can't sing. <laughs> oh, wait, you ain't watched it? I've only would... seen pieces of it. I haven't got a chance to watch it all. I didn't realize that that is a perfect world to get Brandon to watch Steven Universe. Brandon, everybody on the Steven Universe can sing. Okay, you got me. All the cast. <laughs> Brandon, you, I, yeah, Brandon would love Steven Universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so everybody on this can sing. And that was that was a casting, it was a purposeful casting choice because a lot of um, episodes involve characters singing about what it is that they're going through. Right. Okay, but yeah. Because Estelle's on there. Come on. Yep. Shout out to Estelle. I mean, I don't yeah, know if they have, have a full, actual full date yet. I just know it's just the fall, I, as far as I can tell. They'll also be released on DVD as well. And the soundtrack Good, the album will be out as well. Shit, they got a soundtrack out now you can listen to. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so um, for the end of the show, I forgot to do, to do this last week, but I did want to say rest in peace to Dr. John and Bushwick Bill. Dr. John is a New Orleans um, jazz music legend. Uh, well, not just jazz, but like rock and funk and R&B and everything. You know, like a whole mix of genres. He passed away on the 6th at the age of 77. And then Bushwick Bill, a member of the Ghetto Boys, he passed away on, was it the 9th? Did he really die? Oh, oh, I think what happened was that, so they still have him listed as having passed away. I did see that his son apparently said that he was still alive, but on life support. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to say. Like, I think they have, they might have already, I think they've issued like death certificates and shit for him. I'm not sure. Um, no, 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 apparently he. Did indeed die, and the son didn't know about it. They confirmed that he's passed on. Wow. But yeah, Bushwood Bills, remember the um, the Ghetto Boys with um, which is Scarface's group from Texas. He was a little person who was um, he was the little person in the group. But yeah, so uh, rest in peace to both of them. Uh, Missy Elliott, Miss Missy, Mister Mina Elliott, was inducted the other day into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And goddamn right, yes. And they said that she was in tears. She's they say she's the first female rapper inducted into, into the Hall of Fame. Missy, in addition to her own stuff, though, as I hope everybody knows by now, she wrote basically at least two songs for all of your favorite R and B artists from the nineteen nineties and early two thousands. All of them: SWV, um, Destiny's Child, Maya, uh, Total. 
Ali, um, obviously. Um, Lil Mo. These are off the top of, off the top of my head, too. Like, a bunch of people. Uh, Raven Simone, where they dissed her in the video, had that skinny, light-skinned woman doing her rap that she put on the song. Um, what else? Um, MC Light, who rocks the party that rocks the body. <laughs> wow. Like, Missy, did, Missy and Tim were the Ashford and Simpson of the 1990s. And I'm very glad that they are getting the recognition they deserve for putting together all those hit songs for people. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, Peter, thanks for joining us. Uh, do you want people to find you online? <laughs> I, I forgot to ask. Where can people find you online if you want them to? Uh, um. If people want to find me online, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Dostex, uh, D-R underscore D-O-U-G-H-S-T-A-X. Um, that's basically it. Uh, yeah, nigga, I ain't creative, so yeah. All right. And as for us, you can find us on all social media under the handle SSM Podcast. You can find us at SSMPodcast.com. And you can find our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Acast, and wherever else podcasts can be found. I do just remember, I need to make sure I do this today. Um, We have a letter to read from a listener who asks us a bunch of questions that I need to make sure that we answer. Give me a second to pull that up as I do. How much money do y'all think this Toy Story 4 shit is going to make this week? All of them. Like, are we looking at 200 million? Are we looking high? Is this going to be some end game shit where they go over three? No, no. <laughs> I, sorry, it I won't be. I think they'll hit three. No, I don't think so. I don't I'll, think say, I'll say at least 200. At least. Yeah, 200. Yes. Yeah, 200 is the floor. <laughs> 200 is definitely the floor. Like, and it's the, it's the definite last one because, like, I've, I've read a couple of reviews and basically said that uh, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They can't do like how they lied about three being it, and it came back with four. They they said, uh, uh-uh, not this time. <laughs> so I don't know what what they have done. I don't know how many <laughs> tissue I need to bring to this motherfucker because the Lord knows they had me crying in three. But apparently, uh, this is it. This is yeah, uh, Toy Story in game. <laughs> I, I I felt like I was being assaulted at climax of of a. Toy Story 3. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When, I didn't come to all this. When them motherfuckers joined hands. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, wait, wait, slashed this, into the incinerator. I was like, are we doing this? <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't see that shit till the third watch because I was crying too hard the first two times. <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember being in the theater like, okay, so where did they go pull up? Pull up, pull up, and they 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 didn't pull up for five minutes. They legit set it up like, listen, we all going down together because I was like, oh. I was like, this is some meet your maker shit. I was like, let me let me get my shit ready to walk out this day. I can't do this. <laughs> Y'all not gonna do this to me. All right, so this letter comes from uh, Felix. It's a comment from episode 293. You can't pray to Mr. Ratburner away. Uh, wow, that's a good-ass name. <laughs> <laughs> I worked on that one for like a, like a day. I was like, well, give me called this. 
Brandon, Brandon caught himself, man. I'm I'm super creative. <laughs> no, I, I was super creative. I coped with it way shorter than a day. I was struggling on that one. I, I had finally hit it. All right, but this is what Felix said. Was wondering if y'all were planning to uncover Netflix's upcoming slate of animated projects announced so far, and the ones we only know the creators involved. Been really interested in your takes on the whole thing in its own episode, maybe since I think you might have covered it here and there in the news section. So... I know of a few of them. Like we sort of kind of, I sort of kind of sift through them based upon how popular the property is, and any that I miss that um, the other um, hosts will bring them up as we sort of kind of talk. Uh, he said, it goes on to say, there's stuff I'm really looking forward to, like Lashawn Thomas's Cannon Busters, which is finally coming to Netflix. Uh, Ghost oh, in the wow. Shell animated show, Pacific Rim animated show, Altered Carbon animated show. And then stuff like so, James Baxter and his cohorts may be working on. There's also a Zelda. Is that that's live action though, right? The Zelda show that's coming. I did not realize that. Hang on, that was live action. I think it's live action. So I might. Um, oh, I know there is come. They have the um, what was that show that's based on something that he um said it was coming to Netflix. Uh, Jurassic Park is what it was. A Jurassic World actually show they have coming. I did see that. I'm good. <laughs> I'm a good love and joy. The former of those Cannon Busters, I think, is probably delayed because the animation studio would have most definitely been working on a very labor-intensive fifth season of the Sinful Gear animated anime franchise at the same time. Its main animators have worked on that for the past seven years religiously and are a close-knit group at this point. Yeah, I've been hearing about Cannon Busters for it. So yeah, because I remember when I remember when LaShawn Thomas was posting Cannon Busters concept art on his blogs online, but that was years. <laughs> yeah, LaShawn Yo. Thomas also he he designed the original um design for the Boondocks. The, the animated yep. versions of them. Yep. Since we're way past the initial March release date and said Sinful Gear premieres <laughs> in a month, I'm sure LaShawn might have had to give them the time to fulfill their obligations first before returning. Yeah, he's like he's turning into the Black Richard Williams with this um, project. Hopefully, Disney doesn't come along, steal it, um, throw it back at him and say, we can't release this, and then go and make it themselves as a different version under a slightly different name. Hi, Aladdin. Uh, (laughs) We talked about that on the Aladdin show. Everybody got so bad because they were like, the fuck, Disney? That's one of those dirty animation industry secrets that not even a secret, it's an open fucking secret. It's one of those dirty animation stories that Disney doesn't like people telling, but it's very true. Um <laughs> this these are the same folks you find all over the key animation credits of the Cannon Busters pilot, people working on the Simple Gear anime, who in my opinion did great work. Have y'all seen Simple Gear? Have y'all heard of that? No. You mean no. simple? Is it simple or simfo? Simfo is how he spells it. Yeah, it's Sinful Gear. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I have not seen Sinful Gear before. Okay. Um, but I have seen um like, you know, like pictures of it. So Okay. That main crew of animators at Satellite have been getting promotions with each new season of that show and also with that the pay they deserve, which is that's damn good. So I'd understand, but would it be nice to hear from the folks involved about the delay? Felix out. I thoroughly enjoyed the show. Thanks so much, Felix. We appreciate it. 
I, I love to hear yeah. animators getting money, getting paid good work for what they do, especially when huh? they're overseas, because you know the main reason they go overseas is they try to pay them like peanuts to make peanuts, pennies, pennies. And they're like, give us art, give us the moon on the budget of going across the street in a, and then on, in a and shopping then, cart. When the audience watches and the audience is disappointed, you know, people go blame uh, the animators. Yeah. Oh, it's These niggas like, can't draw. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, not to rag on anybody, but yeah, when you see stuff like this, if you see the finished product, just know many, 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 many man hours. Very little, little, little pay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Lord knows that's the truth. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. This has been the Say Something Nice podcast. I am Brandon. I am here with Ali. Hello. And Peter. And. Oh, uh, something lost in the fire. Oh, we'll see you guys mm. next time. Not the ghost of these, of these, these masters. <laughs> ghost master. Master. Just sitting there like, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, rock. Like when them horror movies, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, rock. We can't even do the creepy. Oh, man. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That'll be the first thing that ends up existing when the aliens come find our asses in 2000. Creepy. Oh, wow. Annabelle 3 or whatever version of it. Rock around the clock. <laughs> yeah, but we'll see y'all later. Goodbye. Okay. Right, I actually wanted to ask y'all the question. Okay. Uh, Ken, why in the fuck is Annabelle 3 in IMAX? I don't know. I don't watch that series. Uh, I, I, they, were, they were playing the NBA Finals game at the gym on Friday, and, and the trailer came on, and that shit said, Annabelle comes home. Experience it in IMAX. I said, hoops! <laughs> also, those movies make money, so... Yeah, yeah people... Do, but, but hoops! People want to be frightened beyond... All measure of reason. But who wants to see that shit on a, a screen the size of a building? People who want to <laughs> shit and pee themselves. <laughs> well, Cause, I mean, because mm. I forgot to mention, the Cinema Bistro charges all that money, and my seat that I they put that I bought turns out it was it looked like somebody's cat had just scratched into it. I was also, I was concerned that somebody might have pissed themselves in the chair and they just scratched off the top enough of it. So I didn't want to sit there. And that made me think about that when you said that about people peeing and shitting themselves watching Annabelle 3 in fucking IMAX. I have questions about that. I have questions about um, why... I have questions about why um, Cine Bistro charged you so much for a seat when they're a place where you could go to buy... You know, you can, you can have a meal at your... At your um at your seat. So the usual thing I'm I'm aware of or I'm used to is you. you I usually buy go to steal a movie grill is what I usually do. I want yeah, to go to Cine Bistro because I think it was it, it was closer and it was a late night showing, and uh, Studio Movie Grill shuts down everything at ten thirty. Okay, because I'm I'm aware of if I, the the usual way it goes is hey we. You know, we we won't charge you as much for the ticket, but we will we will charge you when it comes to the, you know, the 
the, the real charge is when you buy, buy the food. You, no, your food. Studio Movie Grill does that. They only charge you twelve dollars for a full regular price ticket because they know you'll buy food. Right. Uh, Cine Bistro so, uh, charges full eighteen. Yeah, Cine Bistro is roadside robbery. What's going on? And the screen was out of focus. I don't know if it was out of focus or if just it was too big. See, that's messed up. That's the problem. See, but like. Maybe I would enjoy it more in Men in Black International if I saw it like on a TV screen or something because it was out of focus, which it wasn't way out of focus. It was like slight, like just a little bit out of focus, like where I could see it was fuzzy on the edges. It doesn't matter. I spent $18 for this. So I'm going to need for y'all to refund me my money, please. Thank you. I actually, I legit want, I, I was so upset with that movie. I th- one couple did walk out. They just, they just left after they got through with their food. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, yeah. They didn't come back. Um, yeah, but Shaft, everybody loved fucking Shaft, but all them black people love Shaft. Like, it's like one white guy in the crowd, but like, it was a full, beautiful black folks. They, they love that shit. Yeah, so my friend Kareem, he was a member of Brothers Watching Brothers, this, you know, this um, group for um, veterans suffering from PTSD. Brothers Watching Brothers, they need to change that name. That sounds gay. Cut, cut two when he actually goes to the um, facility. And the receptionist is a clearly gay dude. <laughs> he says, welcome to Brothers Watching Brothers. How can I help you? Samuel Jackson just turns and looks at his son. And the son looks back like, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, you can keep that. You keep that, you keep that on your side, sir. You just... And they keep cutting back to the gay dude. He keeps looking at Samuel Jackson. Look at his lips. Uh, <laughs> it's only uh, funny because it's regressive as fuck. <laughs> Mm-mm. Yeah, that's like mm. it's yeah, it's it's like right on the line. It's I'm, right on. It's like tap dancing on that goddamn line. That's why I'm working. Yeah, that's what that, on the line. That, it's it's just it is crisscrossing, doing hopscotch across that damn line. Yeah, talking about on the break, line. It's break Like, mm-mm. It, it, you know what? It is. It is doing the moon walk on that damn line. It is. It's mm. there's one a joke lot. where Richard it, Round, is, it is erasing the line like in one of those cartoons where it, it like Buzz Bunny. <laughs> Richard Roundtree takes out a security guard who's a big dude by challenging him to a um arm wrestling contest and then pointing like, hey, look over there, and then punching him out. And um uh, Samuel Jackson says, Yeah, you won that fight. Yeah, it, it was easy. I don't know. Maybe if his nigga was, um, we were fighting over a French fry, he might have had me. Um, I'm like, yo. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> Richard Roundtree was playing Robin Harris, Bebe Kids, um, stand up in his house, and the, and the black people in the audience were laughing at it like it was part of the movie. <laughs> I mean, it was part of the movie, but like, but that shows you the age of this audience that they remember. I mean, I remember it because I'm, you know, I'm an old person at heart, I guess. But you know, like the whole thing about I ain't an alcoholic; I'm a drunk. Alcoholics gotta go to them goddamn meetings. <laughs> that shit. Also, I asked Ali this: Ken, is Alexander Ship wearing brown makeup in the X Men movies? Is she or is she tanning? Because I don't know. She's light as fuck in this movie and in Love Simon. She's the same color as the white people. Like, 
If you didn't want to, to hold, they didn't want to light black people in, in one of these movies. <laughs> I mean, Love Simon, they don't know how to light black people in that. I, I mean, everybody in the movie is light, even Keenan. Okay, so that's okay, so that's one. All right, now let's talk about X-Men. Is it that they're not lighting her and that's why she looks darker? Okay, so X-Men, you're saying that X-Men doesn't know to to light black people either? I'm is just asking if if she's if if they have her, if they've darkened her somehow, because she was in this and she was like, I was like, is she that light all the time? <laughs> So the question is, what does Alexandra Ship actually look like? Inquiring minds want to know. I, I, I will say she's a good actress when you don't have her do a fake African accent or play um, Aliyah. She was actually functionally good in Shaft for what she was asked to do. Yeah, I tried to say she was decent, just not a storm, because I said, well, she was good in, uh, what was it, Love, Simon? Mm-hmm. Hey, and somebody was like, she played herself. Well, she played a high school child. She didn't quite, I mean, that character is sort of kind of like an archetypical black girl in like high school. Like, <laughs> So she played herself. <laughs> I'm like, I can't really argue too much after that. 